You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James. Four minutes past five. Very good morning to you. We've got weather coming up in just a moment. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. All right, we've got a wet weather coming up for the South Island and everyone's preparing. We'll, we'll look at that a little bit later on in the program. Very good morning to you. The uh, well, the extremes at the moment are Auckland. Auckland and the Waitakere Ranges there, that's on the west. Yeah, yesterday you were saying that New Plymouth was on the east coast. <laughs> oh, I know, I did, I know. I know, I do get confused with my left and right. Sometimes I'm the, you know, You're the sort of bloke that would go around pushing doors marked pull, aren't you? Well, um... Uh, I have been known to do that sometimes when I'm not thinking. You spend a lot of time not thinking. You can just tell by the way you go through the news. Oh, well, that's enough of you. How about you go over and make me another cup of coffee? How about that? Well, you've already had one. I know, but I want another one. All right, the extremes are in Auckland, Waitakere. Waitakere is 17.1, and that's on the east coast, isn't it? No, Waitakere is on the west coast. All right, and no, it's a West Coast, is it? It's just, uh, uh, yeah, okay, it is too. Yeah, all right, Auckland, Waitakere, 17.1. Waiuru, 4.3. So she's a wee bit cool down there in Waiuru. Down, that's where, that's where. I know what, that's where you want to have your uh, tent city where all prisoners live in tents all year round, is that right? Yep, that's what I want to do. And uh, they're going to have horses, men on horses with shotguns, and if any of them try to run away, yeah, uh, they'll be shot on sight. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> uh, this is a good idea. All right, Christchurch, eastern suburbs, 43 kilometres of wind there in Christchurch. That's the windiest. Auckland's North Shore's also got a wee bit of rain, 0.2 millimetres of rain. Stewart Island, now we're going to, going to go right across the main centre. Stewart Island, 15 degrees. Invercargill, 11 degrees this morning. Good morning to you. Dunedin down there. Dunedin, we're having a wee drum brewery. When it gets colder in the winter, it will have a wee drum brewery. 14 degrees there. Uh, Chatham Island's 13 degrees. Queenstown's on 12. France Joseph on the east coast. West coast. Oh, that's right. West coast is uh, 11 degrees. A wee bit cooler further north uh, to uh, Westport, and they've got 10 degrees. Nelson's on 12. Blenheim is on 8. So it's really, really nippy there. And this time of the year, it's like that. It can go right down to eight, you know, 5 degrees uh, overnight and just as the sun's you know starting to come up and uh, during the day though it can be 35 degrees it's a funny place and also another place that's a wee bit like that is um, Winton as well that can be like that Christchurch is on 11 this morning up to the North Island in Wellington 12 degrees there in Wellington and it's half that temperature in Masterton and that's what I was saying to John Ansell the other week what were you saying to him? I was saying that um, that it's always cold compared to Wellington and he, so he, he went to school in Masterton, Masterton boys, I think, and uh, he disagreed with me. But here we are. There's a prime example. Six degrees this morning there in Masterton and 12 degrees in Wellington. Palmerston North, 14 degrees. Uh, Napier's on 11. New Plymouth on the east coast. West coast. Oh, yeah. Right, West Coast is 13 degrees. Taupo, 12 degrees, along with um, Rotorua. Gisborne's on 13. Hamilton, 10 this morning. Good morning to you, Hamiltonians. Uh, Taurongaruians. There's no such word. Oh, all right. People from Tauranga, 15 degrees. 
Auckland 16, and Whangarei, Whangarei, oh, all right, Whangarei, Whangarei's 15 degrees and Kaitaia has 16. Uh, the short forecast for all of New Zealand, and I suppose you're going to say it's valid until midnight tonight, are you? No, I'm not going to do this morning. Northland and Auckland, mostly fine weather. Any remaining showers are going to be clearing by morning. The odd shower about Northland this afternoon. For the remainder of the North Island, uh, generally fine weather. Uh, you have uh, showers about the Gisborne and Hawke's Bay clearing later in the morning. And uh, in Marlborough, Nelson and Buller, mostly fine weather, but cloud increasing. Uh, evening and rain developing in Buller tonight. Uh, for the Westland and Fiordland area, rain with uh, yeah, periods of rain becoming persistent uh, with, the, with the evening coming on. And you've got some heavy falls as well, you can expect. In Canterbury, North Otago and Dunedin, mainly fine weather, high cloud increasing and a few spots of rain late evening. For Central Otago, Clutha and Southland, you have fine weather today, fine at first, but high cloud increasing and one or two showers this afternoon and rain developing in the evening. In the Chatham Islands, periods of rain easing to a few showers this morning. You know what you forgot? No, what did I forget? You forgot to put the weather bed on. Oh, hang on, got my characters mixed up. You forgot to put the, the weather bed on. Oh, okay. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. Yeah, well, it's too late now, isn't it? You know, you, it's a waste of time. Hang on, I'll stop that for you. All right, okay. Thank you very much. All right, so very good morning to you. It is uh, coming up to 10 past. Would you call yourself a socialist? Uh, no. You've never told a lie in politics? No, no. See, somebody sent me a video actually last Friday and it had you talking at the socialist community. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you mentioned the word comrade uh, about four times in a minute. What was that about? It was a rally, and I would have been about 25 years old. Comrade, 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 comrade. That was in 2009. Oh, well, I can't remember which country it was in. No. It's changed since those days? No, not particularly. No. If you are caught in a lie or caught intentionally misleading the New Zealand public, how would you expect to be held to account? Well, I actually believe that it is possible to exist in politics without lying. We drum in that messaging around the dangers of COVID pretty diligently for a full two-week period of sustained propaganda. Sustained propaganda. 88.1 FM, the wireless rural news. Right, we've got some rural news now. That's my job. Digger here and... uh Rural news is on the boil this morning. Uh, what's the time now? 12 minutes past five. Very good morning to everybody. Now, we're over at Radio New Zealand News here, and it looks as though Livestock Improvement Corporation posts a solid $29 million half-year profit this morning. The uh, animal genetics business has posted a solid financial uh, re- result, uh, despite revenue pressures due to the lower milk prices. Uh, are we going to have some rural news, Digger? Uh, yeah, well, yes, we could have some rural news, but let me just uh, let me just do this. You just you could make me a cup of tea. What about a nice uh, cup of what sort of tea do you want? Gumbo tea will be fine, thanks. Now, manuka, a strong genetic difference between New Zealand and Australian plants research. Researchers are going as far as recommending that two plants should be called different species. Apparently, that's what they say. Now, growers, the Great Wall of Mazes. Is, is keeping uh, keeping out uh, self-seekers. Now, Taranaki sunflower growers have had to take security measures of a botanical nature to deter Instagrammers. Oh, really? Really? Now, 
as Esprit chief is to leave the company. Dan Matheson, he's, he's, he will stay as the Kiwi fruit uh, marketer to overseas in 2024. Harvest, yeah, and he's at the start of sales before taking up a role of the global berry company. There we are. And Northern Coomera crop that recovers after the cyclones and the flood. The Coomera growers, they say that it's been very good weather over the past few weeks and providing a sunny outlook for crop yields. That's what it's been doing over the last year with the big, was a big washout. Now, we've got some rural news coming up for you. I'll have that very shortly, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. Now, the wood industry, they're concerned that the Red Sea conflict could drive up shipping costs. The United States is advertising on the, uh, uh, rather the advancing in the area after a string of attacks on commercial shipping by the Iranian-backed Houthis. No, it's Houthi. They, they don't pronounce the H. All right, then. Houthi, that's the militants, they're Islamic terrorists, that's what they are. Uh, rainfall forecasts hope to bring relief to the dry conditions in the country, and I've noticed that Radio New Zealanders used to call it rural, now they call it country. That's good, isn't it? Country music. Now, it's hoped the forecast rain this week will help ease the dry conditions that farmers and growers in multiple areas of the country are facing. Also, wool gathering pays off with the high demand for natural sheepskin products. The rise in demand comes as people begin to turn away from plastic alternatives and vegan leather products. I don't like vegans. There's been a $1 million counter-offensive to overturn the annual export ban. That's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it is. Lobbyists, PR experts and lawyers are being paid to counter criticism of uh, animal welfare standards. So that's going to get good. They're going to be exporting the live animals again. A US group abandoned legal action on the higher tariffs for the lamb. US Today group, a lobby group, has backed down on its call to, for greater import tariffs on New Zealand lamb. Well, that's good, isn't it, Digger? Yes, that's good. Very good. Now, Red Sea attacks are driving up freight costs. Did you know that, according to Rabobank? No, I didn't know that. Yes, well, tensions in the Red Sea are causing problems for exporters working to get key commodities into Europe, apparently. And where have all the apples gone? I don't know. Where have the apples gone? Well, Cyclone Gabrielle, end of season, affecting supply. And we all know that uh, what they say about an apple a day. Uh, let me see. An apple a day... Keeps the doctor awake. That's right. You're very good. Yes. Now, uh, but what about the shelves, the empty shelves? All we've got is uh, Granny Smith, that sort of thing. There ain't much around as far as that goes. Now, that, so there's a bit of a shortage of apples at the moment. All right. So we've, how about some Radio New Zealand news or rural news? We've got some coming up there. They haven't changed that to country. So let's have a listen to some rural news from Radio New Zealand, if I can find it. Oh, no, I can't find it. It was there. Let's have, let's I'll do a refresh. Shall we, yeah, we'll do a, can you do a refresh for me? All right, I'll do that for you. Just one moment. What's the time now? It's um, 16 minutes past five. Thank you very much, uh, Digger. Right, then, let's see if we can get this rural news going. Well, it doesn't seem to want to go for... Uh, all right, well, here's, a, yeah, well, here's yesterday's one. Anyone see if that'll work? Yeah, good. It's now yeah. time for the rural news with Susan Murray. Kia ora, Susan. Land prices are continuing their drastic downward trend this year. 
Good afternoon, Charlotte. Abysmal and tragic is how farmers are describing the prices they're being paid for lamb this season, with many reconsidering their future in the sector. Prices are down 19% on last year, with the drop due to continued soft demand from key markets like China and Australian lambs still flooding markets. Tony West farms near Ward in the Marlborough region and says it makes farmers wonder why they're in the business. Uh, there's been a lot of discussions around um, and different committees and groups I'm involved in and people are asking themselves a lot of serious questions now, like uh, one of the probably the critical ones is if you're in a farm where you've had some form of succession plan, do you really wish your kids to take on a business where there's such a poor return and high risk? And a lot of people are asking themselves, yeah, you really want to put that noose around your own kids' necks? Very, very difficult times. Things are going to have to change, otherwise our industry will die. Warwick Lissaman, who farms sheep nearby in Seddon, says he's been hard hit with the drop in the price for mutton. These prices have taken a steeper dive. They're down 37% on last year and 50% below the five-year average. Yeah, obviously, your livestock are valued from year to year. Um, the value on the books and the value of what we're getting um, for them being processed today is, is vastly different and it's, it's a vastly negative difference. So there's a massive book loss that's coming through. Beef and Lamb Chief Executive Sam McIver acknowledges how hard farmers' financial situations are but says long-term prospects for sheep meat internationally are strong. Animal Genetics Business Livestock Improvement Corporation has posted a solid financial result despite revenue pressures due to the lower milk price. Its net profit after tax for the second half of last year was $29 million, a 13% drop on the same period the previous year. LIC says the decreased revenue was driven by farmers tightening their belts as well as the $2 million compensation it paid to farmers for providing them with batches of bad batches of sire semen. Trade Minister Todd McClay is set to rub shoulders with some of the world's top trade leaders in the coming weeks. He's off to the World Trade Organization headquarters in Geneva this week to prepare for his appointed role of vice chairman of the upcoming 13th ministerial conference of the WTO in Abu Dhabi in late February. While in the UAE, he will also meet his trade counterpart to discuss trade, food security and climate change. He says he hopes to formalise trading arrangements to give greater certainty to our exporters in industries like dairy, meat and services. It's a chance to get there and promote uh, New Zealand's interests uh, to very high-level officials and uh, country representatives in the WTO, also to engage with my ministerial counterpart in Dubai, not only about what we need to see from the WTO to level the playing field for New Zealand exporters, but more importantly also how we can find ways to um, export more to the Middle East, both uh, perhaps through a trade agreement with the UAE itself and the wider region through the Gulf Cooperation Council. Todd McClay says the visit provides the opportunity to influence and drive positive outcomes at the ministerial meeting, especially around domestic agricultural production, which he says supports the interests of both developing and developed countries. Cheaper kumara could be just a few months away with yields looking good. This comes after last year's weather made for a disastrous harvest where volumes were down about 70%, which in turn pushed prices up. Kaipara kumara owner Anthony Blundell says things are looking really good this season. 
early harvest will be kicking off within a couple of weeks probably but the main harvest late february but the signs are very good and kuma growers are in good spirits so uh, with any luck with mother nature we should have a reasonable sized crop and get back on track in 2024 and um, get kuma back out there on the plate mr blundell says it's vital growers do well as they need cash flow back into their businesses very important for a lot of us in the industry, from growers and to the, the pack houses and marketers. So very important. You know, year last year was one out of the box, having such a wet spring and summer, then finished off by that uh, cyclone Gabrielle. That really you had three things at play there that all came together like a like a perfect storm. So never before um, had we'd seen anything like that. And we've had some uh, growers that have been growing for nearly 65, 70 years. So. It was pretty unprecedented, so it's nice to have more back to a normal season. Kaipura Kumara owner Anthony Blundell. Meanwhile, it's a similar story for apple growers who are anticipating a much better season, with the harvest about a month away. A smaller harvest last year due to Cyclone Gabriel has resulted in some supermarkets running low on stock as last season's crop runs out. Hawke's Bay grower Hamish Goodwin says the silt has been removed from his orchard and the trees are looking healthy ahead of harvest, which starts the first week of March. The season for us is looking really promising. We've got really good numbers of fruit on the trees. We've had to extensive thinning, which we've just about completed. The trees predominantly look in really good health. In, in a couple of areas, we have had some tree losses, but they're probably about 250 trees out of 15,500 trees. So again, we're reasonably lucky there because there is talk of you know, around the district that, you know, some, some people are losing trees even now, you know, because of the extended wet. Like the Kumara growers, Mr Goodwin says this season is vital for cyclone-hit orchardists in need of cash flow. Another key growing region, Tasman, Steve Thomas from the large apple grower Thomas Brothers, says after years of issues around heavy rain, hail and labour shortages, the upcoming season is looking positive. It's looking relatively good. The fruit size is slightly down on last year, uh, mainly due to it being just a bit drier, a bit less rain. But um, the fruit quality out there looks really nice. And what are the yields looking like? They're not huge because of the fruit size, but there's nothing too concerning. There's no no black spot causing excessive thinning, and blemish is really low. So so yields look. I guess a bit more run of the mill, not huge, not small though. So yeah, it's been it's been good. We haven't been hampered by any disasters this year yet, but it's a long way that lasts. Steve Thomas from Thomas Brothers, ending our primary industry news for today. Thank you very much, Susan Murray. Oh well, thank you very much, Susan Murray. It's twenty-four minutes past five, and uh, we will look at uh, what are we going to look at next? We will look at uh, just normal news in a moment. In just in a moment. Scraping together all the news and information you need. It's engaging. At the top and bottom of the hour. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. All right, and welcome to the world at five. Now we're over at RNZ. You can find them at rnz.co.nz. And the government is accused of sneaking in larger cuts to public service. The finance minister's office has confirmed she's asked all departments to identify savings in December, not just those listed in National's election policy. Other news, students are paying big money for mouldy flats. Maori flats? Why have they got Maori flats? They don't need Maori flats. No, mouldy Mouldy. Yeah, I know. That's how you say mouldy. <laughs> Maori. 
Moldy. That's the correct pronunciation. No, I'm talking about mold. You know, like flats that are moldy. Ah, oh, I say. Ah, oh, it's just the way you say it, isn't it? Well, I suppose it is. Now, students, they they are uh, constantly getting sick and cold from damp and moldy flats. See, I told you, Maori flats. That's the problem. They are Maori flats. No, 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 no. Not. It's mold. It's sort of you know like mushrooms. That sort of mold, moldy flats, Maori flats. Shut up, digger. All right, now they are saying they're paying exorbitant rents for these, so that's a story you can find in housing over at rnz.co.nz. Now, we've got some problems coming up with the weekend rain. France Joseph River has shifted radically after the last storm uh, with further bad weather forecasts for the weekend. West Coast Civil Defence has swung into action over the uh, river change and the potential risks, so they're planning all sorts of things there. And we've also got these black, black-winged black gulls. They are preying on other uh, species and so they've got people over there. They've got people wasting money monitoring seagulls. They have. I mean, you could send students out and they could tell you that. They don't need people on big salaries to tell you that the gulls are preying on other animals. No, I suppose they don't. But they, that's, what they don't, that's what we do here in New Zealand. We waste money on things like that. Uh, I'll also have the 5 o'clock bulletin for you as well from RNZ. That came in at 5 o'clock, so we'll have a look at that. we better do that before 6, otherwise we'll miss it. Uh, and I wonder who it's going to be this morning. Uh, it could be uh, Vicky Mackay. She's my favourite radio announcer. She does Midnight Till Dawn on RNZ, and I always enjoyed listening to her. Although these days, I'm a wee bit busy. I can't really do that. It's 26 minutes past 5. Now, outrageous has been the call on the tax freeze proposal, prompted calls for the removal removal of the minister. They're really getting stuck into her, aren't they? Uh, Casey Costello she's called, has called to remove the outrageous proposal for a tax freeze on tobacco. And everyone's upset about it. Health experts are outraged that the Associate Minister's proposal uh, to bring in a, a three-year freeze on tobacco excise. Well, they should. Do you know how much the government gets on a packet of fags? No. A packet of 25, you know, like Winfield 25, for example, 45 bucks of that is tax. Oh, I didn't know that. That's quite a bit, isn't it? Yeah, and you know you know how you like to buy a packet of um, smokes and it costs 140 bucks for uh, 50 grams of, of tobacco? Yes, yes, yes. Well, do you know how much money the government makes out of that? No. How much? Well, I don't know, $20? No, think again. $90. The government gets $90. For a packet of fifty grams, it's eight almost eighteen hundred dollars for a for a thousand fags. Is what the government taxes, and a packet of twenty uh, fives. You just got to do the arithmetic, don't you? So that's twenty five hundred divided by forty. Forty smokes is a thousand grams, isn't it? I suppose it is. Yeah. So how much do they get? Eighteen hundred bucks. So that's ninety dollars for a packet of fifty grams. Highway robbery. So that means your your smokes. Should only cost about fifty bucks, shouldn't they? Forty-five, fifty dollars. Well, that's why. That's what I pay my friend. You're not supposed to talk about that on the radio. Oh no, that's right. That's the other way, you could get into trouble. You could get into trouble. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Yeah, all right. Good idea. I'll make a nice cup of tea for you. All right. No, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have a coffee this morning. All right, I'll make you a cup of coffee. Now, what is Costello? Costello said the tax affected addicted smokers who could come from the lower socioeconomic backgrounds. An anti-smoking advocacy group, they want her to be stripped uh, stripped of her health duties altogether. A freeze on the excise tax would mean that the price of smoking tobacco products would not be increased. Well, it shouldn't be increased, should it? I mean, it's ridiculous, $90 for a packet of 50 grams for a poor old smoker. 
Yeah. And anyway, it's none of the government's business. They should be poking their nose into other people's business and controlling what people do. People want to have a cigarette, they can. And it's up to the individual to to uh, decide whether he wants to smoke or not. Well, I suppose that's right. I think I agree with that. And you, you've heard me speak on that. You've been listening to me, haven't you? Yeah, I, I do listen quite carefully. All right. Well, let's get back to the story now. I've got this funny-looking bloke here with a bald. He's a bald fellow. He is the chair of the Aotearoa. And I wonder where Aotearoa is. Uh, New Zealand, that's the Maori name. Actually, it's not the Maori name. It was actually invented by Europeans. Did you know that? Uh, I did hear a rumour that it was. Now, Health Coalition Aotearoa co-chair Boyd Swinburne, what does he say? He looks funny. He looks like you. What do you mean he looks like me? Well, he's bald like you are. Oh, Okay. Well, I wear a hat when I go out in public. Associate Minister said that it was just information gathering. That's all she said. And uh, she said that we're dealing with under 300,000 people who are daily smokers and are now addicted. Yeah, yeah, they're now addicted. That's according to Costello. That's what she says. She said, I'm committed to looking at the very best options for getting those people away from smoking. Why? I think you're all nuts. I think Aisha Verrill and Costello, you're all nutty. You should just stay out of the smokers' business. If they want to smoke, let them smoke. It's our business, what we do with our bodies. If we want to stop, we don't need a government uh, telling us. It's all about you making money anyway. Let's face it. And it's far too much. You know, 10% tax is more than you need. More than you need. You shouldn't be taxing us. You tax us anyway. We pay tax and we pay all this tax out through our our income tax, the PAYE. And then what do you do? You tax us on the smokes we want to buy with the money that we've worked hard for all week. If we want to have a cigarette, we can have a cigarette. If we want to have a drink, let us have a drink. If we if, Just stop interfering with our lives. You've got to stop it. And I hope New Zealand First will get rid of all taxes on alcohol and tobacco. It's just ridiculous because it's not going to stop people smoking. If they want to smoke, they can, they can stop smoking. And I don't believe that smoking causes cancer anyway. I don't. I think those vaccines are the big problem, and we've got we're going to be hearing from someone about that as well coming up. All right, uh, let's. Um, we, 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 I suppose we better finish the news, had we? Yeah. Anyway, so that's the problem there, and I got a bit a bit carried away with that. I just think it's terrible that the government is interfering with our business on what we do with our bodies, and it's just getting us used to the whole idea of doing what the government tells us. That's what I say. That's what I say. Now, uh, what else have we got? We've got some more uh, leaked papers there. There's a the, uh, the Fair Pay Cabinet paper has been leaked. Leaked investigation comes up empty-handed. <laughs> 50 years on from, the, from uh, what is it? 50 years on from New Zealand's first glimpse of colour television. Oh, that could be interesting. I wonder if there's a video on that. Oh, yeah, look, colour was terrible back in the old days. Just looking at one there. There is a um, story you can listen to there from the Morning Report. Uh, oh, well, should we have a listen? Let's have a listen. Well, today marks 50 years since Dick Taylor raced to 10,000 metre glory at the uh, 1974 Commonwealth Games. That was yesterday. You've already talked about that. Oh, I did too. All right. OK, we won't worry about that then. All right. What do we do now? Well, what about Kerry Mellis? We'll have him. Yes, Kerry Mellis is going to tell us about some news. Um, going to tell us about how much he likes Fauci. Are they friends, are they? I didn't think they liked each other. Well, Kerry Mellis, he passed away just before the COVID pandemic came out. Kerry Mellis died. He had a heart attack. He was only 73 and he was quite fit and healthy apparently. He had a heart attack. You know they can give people heart attacks? You know, the FIP? You mean the FBI? Yeah, well, and the the CIG? You mean the CIA? Yeah, well, they can can do things. They've got little blow darts and stuff like that. You know, and into you, and you can die of a heart attack, and they can't tell. Can't tell. They can give you things. That, so I think they might have killed him. Do you think so? 
I think they might have done, because he was the inventor of PCR tests, wasn't he? I was too, that's right. Well, we'll be hearing from him. And also, I got sent a video from one of the listeners yesterday. Now, where is that one? That is very interesting. Oh, yes, it's Dr. Peter. Uh, I can't read it because it's so far away. My eyes are so bad this morning. It's Dr. Peter, looks like Gorsh. Oh, we'll find out when he talks to us. We'll have him. He's coming up as well as, uh, who else have we got this morning? Oh, we're going to be hearing from Justin Pierce. He's made a phone call to uh, Sean Plunkett. And apparently, uh, according to Sean Plunkett, uh, well, according to uh, Justin Pierce, it looks as though Sean Plunkett has been busted. So that's good. So right now we will hear from uh, Kerry Mullis. He's coming up next. It's 27 minutes to six. Uh, oh, don't let me forget about the, um, the well, actually, why don't we have the news from RNZ just to bring us up to date with what's happening as far as news goes. And uh, then we will hear from Kerry Mullis and also we'll hear from that doctor who have exposed all the vaccines. Oh, yes, they've all been exposed. OK, let's have Radio New Zealand news right Wait. now. <laughs> RNZ News at 5. Kia ora. Good morning. I'm Angie Skerritt. What were you laughing about, Angie? More than 1,400 new house consents have been granted in floodplains in Auckland since devastating flooding damaged thousands of homes in the city a year ago. The consents account for more than 10% of all new dwellings granted building permission in that time. Ian Noy, the Economics of Disasters and Climate Change Chair at Victoria University, as it makes no sense to build new houses in areas that may face managed retreat in the future. Auckland councillor Richard Hills says the new consents are frustrating, but councils have to grant consent if applications can show they've taken steps. Stuff that up, didn't you? What have you done? Yeah, I know what you've done. We have to start again. No, we won't, we won't be starting again. We'll go in a little bit further, shall we? You you got rid of the wrong one, didn't you? Yes, you did. Oh. RNZ News at oh. 5. Kia ora. Good morning. I'm Angie Skerritt. Oh, kia ora. More than 1,400 new house consents have been granted in floodplains in Auckland since devastating flooding damaged thousands of homes in the city a year ago. The consents account for more than 10% of all new dwellings granted building permission in that time. Ian Noy, the Economics of Disasters and Climate Change Chair at Victoria University, says it makes no sense to build new houses in areas that may face managed retreat in the future. Auckland Councillor Richard Hills says the new consents are frustrating, but councils have to grant consent if applications can show they've taken steps to reduce the risk. Hills says better planning direction from the government, including resource management reform, would help. Investigators will today be gathering evidence from a boating accident in Doubtful Sound. A scenic cruise vessel reportedly ran aground near Crooked Arm just after 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening. Close to 70 people were on board the MV Fjordland Navigator, but no one was injured. Investigators from the Transport Accident Investigation Commission are speaking to witnesses and collecting evidence from the vessel and the accident site. Their work will continue over the weekend, but it could be up to two years before the inquiry is completed. Maritime New Zealand and the boat's operator, Real NZ, are also investigating. A post-mortem will today be carried out on the body of a woman found dead in a Wellington house. The police were called to Baroda Street in Kandala just before midnight on Wednesday. They found the woman's body on arrival and are treating her death as unexplained. The police haven't provided further details, but were door-knocking in the area yesterday to ask residents if they had seen or heard anything. 
Forensic investigators were seen coming and going from the property throughout the day. The body was removed just before half past four yesterday afternoon. The Hamilton Zoo has revealed the gender of its two new Sumatran tiger cubs born earlier this year at the facility. The pair revealed to be both females were born in the early hours of January the 3rd to mother Karana and father Scout. Sumatran tigers are listed as critically endangered, with fewer than 400 animals remaining in the wild. Hamilton Zoo to Karuru Nature Precinct Director Baird Fleming says the birth of the female cubs is going to expand the species population. He says the cubs' names are yet to be decided by the zoo. And Britain's Foreign Secretary David Cameron has called for an immediate pause in the fighting in Gaza to get aid into the territory and Israeli hostages released. Speaking in Doha, he said he wanted to see that pause become a sustainable ceasefire. He said he had urged the Israeli government to speed up aid deliveries to Gaza by opening crossing points and accelerating truck inspections. They've got to deal with the population. They've got to make sure the crossing points are open more often. They've got to make sure the checking is done more quickly. They've got, crucially, to give the visas to the UN staff and the trucks that the UN staff need to get the aid around Gaza. I think they understand that, but there are bottlenecks in the system. They need to move faster. And that's the news. Oh. oh, that's the news. Right, come back here. Come back. The news is finished. This is a short one today. Been a shorty. Oh, I'm in. I'm in the hot seat. Uh, 20, 20, 22 minutes to six. All right, twenty-two to six. Now, hang on. How do you play this thing? It's like an aircraft carrier. Uh, it's like being in the pilot seat. So a lot of the wives are triggered on this app, saying I'm young, inexperienced, don't know what I'm talking about. But I listen to what the men say every single day through consultations, through what I do for work, YouTube videos made about you guys. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just letting you know a lot of you are shitty wives. Did you know that one in four marriages are sexless? How are you a good wife if you don't even sleep with your husband? On top of that, we're not loyal anymore. Women leave 70 to 80% of the time, 90% of the time if we're college educated. How are you a good wife if you're not loyal? Crowd, get back in here. He's, he's actually out seeing a man about a dog. He's, he said, I'll just, I'll be out, I'll du- just stuck out and see a man about a dog. I'll be back in a minute. Crowd, you're on, it's your turn. Oh, oh well, anyway. Oh, God, well, what we'll do is we'll, while we're waiting for him, he's out having to piss. <laughs> So we'll just play Kerry Malice. Kerry, Kerry Malice, he's the man with the CPR test. They killed him just before um, COVID pandemic came on. What is it, what, what is it about humanity that, 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 that wants to go to the, all the details and stuff and listen? You know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine. He he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people, and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda 
they make up their own rules as they go, they change them when they want to, and they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem, that's a main problem actually with science, I'd say, in this century, because science is being judged by people, funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it, because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, asked Fauci if he'd come down there and debate me on the stage in front of the student body, because I wanted somebody who was from the other side to come down there and balance my, because I felt like, well, these guys can listen to me, but I need to have somebody else down here that's going to tell me the other side. But Fauci didn't want to do it. All right, it's 19 minutes to six, and we've got Kerry Mullis coming up in a moment. I've already had him when you're outside having a pee. <laughs> oh, we'd, don't talk like that. Don't tell people that I was doing that. All right, now we've got um, Peter. Peter Gosh, it uh, looks like Gosh. Let's, uh, let's see, he's got some information on the Jackson murderers. My name is Peter Gosh. I'm a director of the Nordic Cochrane Centre in Copenhagen and professor of research design and analysis at the University of Copenhagen. Two years ago, I found out that our prescription drugs are the third leading cause of death after heart disease and cancer. Our drugs kill around 200,000 people in America every year, and half of these people die while they do what their doctors I'm told them. So they this. die because of the side effects. The other half die because of errors. And it's often the doctors that make the errors because any drug may come with 20, 30 or 40 warnings, contraindications, precautions and so on. No doctor in the world knows about all this. So they give patients drugs that they should not have given them, that interact dangerously with other drugs or food items and so on. And then the patients die. That's the other half. So uh, the other thing I found out two years ago was that um, uh, much of what the drug industry does fulfills the criteria for organized crime in U.S. law. Uh, And uh they behave in many ways like the mafia does. They corrupt everyone they can corrupt. They have bought every type of person, even including ministers of health in some countries. So there is a huge amount of corruption. In, in my country, for example, Denmark, we are regarded as having very little corruption. But yet we have thousands of doctors on industry payroll, although we are just 20,000 doctors. So this is an effective kind of corruption. The drug industry buys the professors first, then chiefs of department, then other chief physicians and so on. They don't buy junior doctors. So when several thousands are on industry payroll, it's really, really bad. And that's why I wrote my um, book, uh, Deadly Medicines and Organized Crime, how Big Pharma has corrupted healthcare. I hope to convince patients not to take so many drugs because so many die from the drugs they take.
In my country, people take so many drugs that every single citizen can be in treatment with one and a half drugs from they are born till they die. This is incredible. And drugs are not that helpful. And uh, they kill very many of us. We know that. That's why drugs are the third major killer after heart disease and cancer. So what we need in the coming years is to take far fewer drugs than what we do currently. If we did that and we were careful, then we could live longer and live better lives. Because drugs have many side effects and patients often don't realize that when they become worse, that it could be a side effect of the drug, which they continue taking because that's what their doctors tell them. So when I was a specialist in internal medicine, uh, what I very often did was that I stopped a lot of drugs, particularly in elderly people, and it's, it's quite revealing to see a bedridden elderly person come into your ward, and when you stop the drugs, I mean, that person becomes many years younger. And, uh, and uh, many of these drugs affect the brain, and old people tolerate that very, very badly. They fall, and when they break a hip, a quarter of them die. And for example, antidepressant drugs are used in more than 10% of our elderly. And um, uh, they seem to kill 3% of them every year. I mean, uh, if 100 old people take an antidepressant for one year, 3% uh, of them will die because they fall and break their hip. This is a huge death rate. So a lot of other drugs and antidepressants also make f people fall and kill them. Uh, and, and they may affect your uh, cognition, your memory and all these things. And then they interact in ways that we know almost nothing about. Uh, very many elderly, they, they take more than five drugs a day. And we actually don't know how these drugs interact with each other. What we do know is that all drugs have many effects in the body and some of them interact also in their metabolism so that you can get a too high concentration of a drug if you take other drugs simultaneously. So we make a lot of harms that we don't even recognize. I have a pretty colorful collection of things people have called me during all these years. And sometimes journalists have asked me why do you always look up controversy? And my reply is, I don't. Controversy looks me up. Because it's not popular to tell the truth in healthcare. You will get a lot of enemies. Because a lot of people make money on false premises. Doctors and industry alike. And our drug regulators and our politicians, they are on board on this wagon. So uh, very few people are independent of money in healthcare. And, uh, and of course, I have uh, attacked uh, a lot of holy cows during my career, and people have screamed loudly. Uh, in a French journal, I was called a statistical masturbist because I showed with statistics that mammography screening didn't work and things like that. 
and I was even accused of scientific misconduct by the Association of the Danish Pharmaceutical Industry, which was completely ludicrous. It was harassment from beginning to end. They came with vague arguments that we cannot recognize the conclusions in your study. And they could have come up with numbers and said, these numbers are wrong. They didn't do anything. It was only harassment. It lasted uh, 18 months, months, I think, the whole thing. And then when we were acquitted, I made sure that this nasty behavior was described in the Very British nasty. Medical Journal. Um, so after that, they haven't come so much after me, the Danish drug industry. Mm. And when my book about organized crime came out, they just lied about it, as they always do. That my examples were old, they went back 90 years and so on. But, you know, where I demonstrate that what the 10 biggest companies do is organized crime, uh, these examples they were from within the last 10 to 15 years. That's not old examples. And the crimes have increased because when crime pays, you will have more crime. That's how capitalism works. Grant, you're on again. Can you, can you just put the Simpsons on? Put the Simpsons on and I'll be in in a minute. All right, Simpsons coming up. Simpsons, what's the time now? It's all coming. Oh, it's 11 minutes to 6. We'll... We'd better have some news from RNZ. If we get the RNZ news, we'll play that in a minute. Just hear the Simpsons, they've got news coming up. Oh, Jesus! Some dude ate a bat, which somehow started a global pandemic. People of the world agreed to a two-week quarantine and it somehow turned into a year of shopping for grapes at Walmart with underwear on your head. Some experts disagree with the experts, but the experts agreed that the only experts that were the experts with the experts who agreed with the experts. The scientific method was replaced with artificial consensus by multinational corporations utilizing mass hysteria. Eventually, other citizens agreed to take a vaccine that wasn't actually a vaccine, but was only called a vaccine for marketing and legal purposes. The experimental gene therapy was coincidentally promoted by the same people who had officially stated previously that their goal was global population reduction but was not in any way correlated to their previously stated goal of global population reduction. Magically, everything returned to normal and the good citizens were given lollipops. All right, it's 10 to 6, and uh, how about a country song? This is a country song. Well, I reckon it's a country song, sort of is. 10 to 6. We'll have news from TNT Radio at 6 o'clock.
That's a good song there by the Ozark Mountain Dead Devils. It is. It's uh, almost um, six minutes to six and TNT Radio News coming up at six o'clock. Uh, but before then, have we got time for Samantha Edwards? I think we do. Oh, think if a do. guy deals drugs when he goes to jail when he's younger, okay, when he talks to the younger men, he'll say, stay away. And you, you, you literally can see like interviews in prison of men talking about this. They'll say, hey, young guys, do not go down that path. You don't have to do that. But older women will justify doing it for younger women. Older men will say, Hey, that's a bad path. Don't go down. They won't justify and say, no, you have to sell drugs. You have to commit crimes. No, they'll give the men the right information. Now, some men will take that advice and some won't. They can't really help who does, but at least they have the correct information. Well, at least they do. That's five minutes away from news at uh, six o'clock. And uh, we've got Samantha Edwards uh, coming up. She's going to be talking to us a wee bit about Pharmac. Ooh, yeah, we had um, we had that other fellow, what was named Gulch, or what is, I think that's how you say it. He was very interesting, wasn't he? Very interesting indeed. We might have him a little bit later on, uh, next early next week. We might um, hear from him again, see if he's got anything else to add to uh, there. Now, we're going to play a wee bit of country music this morning as well, so hopefully one or two every, uh, oh, which reminds me, I can start Facebook up again because they keep pinging me. So we can get that going because we haven't got any music coming at the moment. 
All right, uh, let's hear from Samantha Edwards and then we'll have the TNT Radio News. I'll be back with the weather. And then after six o'clock, we'll hear from Justin Pierce, who made a phone call to oh, good old Sean Plunkett. And Sean Plunkett got busted, I reckon. That's what I think. After the end-of-life choice bill was finalised, Jenny Marcroft, Winston's MP that secured its referendum, then took a hiatus to Labour in 2021, but returned to New Zealand First in 2023. Upon her return, she announced that New Zealand First would reform Pharmac and that the party had agreed to support her proposal to increase the big pharmaceuticals budget by $1.3 billion. The Pharmac model clearly is not working and hasn't been so for a while. New Zealand First will scrap that model and will also pump $1.3 billion extra into our medicines funding. At the same time, Winston Peters announced that he would be seeking COVID-19 jab injury compensation from the New Zealand government. Now, I find two aspects quite strange here. The first being that our government has not permitted the mainstream media to publicly acknowledge the existence of COVID-19 vaccine injury. But when it comes to New Zealand first electoral promises, they are indeed permitted to acknowledge them, which to me anyway indicates that Winston is a part of the government propaganda machine. The second aspect is that he's promising the government to fund this compensation. Why the New Zealand government? Why did he not say he'd be seeking that from Pfizer or any of the other big pharma companies that injured and killed our people? Why would he be asking the New Zealand taxpayer to pay for their own jab injuries? Again, we see a clever move by Winston that causes him to appear to be on the side of the people when the truth just may be something quite different. If you think about it, this move protects Big Pharma and their relationship with our government. Not only is Winston Peters not holding the criminal to account with this promise, potentially allowing Big Pharma and the globalist organisations that force them upon us to escape unscathed, but he's now opening up the New Zealand market to Big Pharma more than ever by declaring an extra $1.3 billion set aside to be spent on their products. So, to get this straight, Winston Peters is promising compensation, reparation for jab-injured Kiwis, where they themselves will pay for the injuries inflicted upon them by Big Pharma, while at the same time ensuring increased government spending to the tune of 1.3 billion of our dollars on the same Big Pharma companies that inflicted those injuries and also killed many of us. That would do nothing but perpetuate a system where Kiwis keep getting sicker while the cartel keeps getting richer and never being held to account for their enormous crimes against humanity. Not sure that that's justice, but that's what Winston Peters seems to be trying to sell us as justice. It certainly does. Just two minutes away from news at TNT Radio, and after then we will be having Justin Pierce. He's going to be telling us, having a bit of a chat. He sent me a, a, a recording of a chat that he had with Sean Plunkett. From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. 88.1 FM, the wireless international. No, 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 no international news is not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. Uh, that's coming up very shortly. Uh, we've got TNT Radio News. They'll be, they give us the international news. Now, we have got a significant measles outbreak, almost certain uh, to happen, according to public health experts. Uh, looks as though uh, Mr. Barker is at it again. 
He says almost certainly uh, we're going to have a significant measles outbreak this year, public health experts say. Who is it? Who is it? It's Michael Baker, I think, isn't it? Looks like it is. And there are fears with very young children that they will die. Measles cases are growing internationally with 45 uh, increase, so that's 45 times the increase in Europe in the past year and hundreds of cases in Britain and also that was in October. Otago University epidemiologist Professor Michael Baker said New Zealand was in line for a significant an outbreak. He said, I think it's almost certain unless that we do rapidly rise the vaccine coverage, that's going to happen. All right, we're moving across to international news right now. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has escalated the ongoing conflict between the state and the federal government over a two-and-a-half-mile border stretch, asserting Texas's constitutional right to defend itself against illegal immigration. This move challenges the Biden administration's directives. In his recent statement, Abbott invoked Article 1, Clause 3 of the Constitution, claiming the state's right to self-defense and justifying his declaration of an invasion made in November of 2022. The dispute intensified following the Supreme Court's recent authorization, allowing Border Patrol agents to cut state-installed razor wire at the border. Despite this, and a subsequent demand from the Biden administration to comply, Abbott has stood firm, arguing Texas's legal autonomy to bypass federal policies for the protection of its citizens. The Department of Homeland Security has criticized Texas for hindering federal law enforcement, with DHS General Counsel Jonathan Meyer pointing out the restrictions Texas has imposed on U.S. Border Patrol's access to Shelby Park. Meyer emphasized the Supreme Court's ruling, underscoring federal law enforcement's right to operate at the border. Abbott continues to assert the Texas measures, including deploying the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety, are necessary due to the federal government's failure to enforce existing immigration laws and President Biden's alleged violations of these laws. Abbott's stance is that Texas's actions are legally justified and essential for the safety of its citizens, superseding conflicting federal statutes. Several senior members of the Conservative Party have shown support for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak amid criticisms and calls for his resignation by former Tory cabinet minister Sir Simon Clark. Clark cautioned that the party risks significant electoral losses if there isn't a change in leadership. However, key party figures, including Home Secretary James Cleverly, have backed Sunak, emphasizing the importance of party unity. Cleverly warned against internal disputes, suggesting it would benefit Labour leader Keir Starmer. Tory MP Daniel Kaczynski criticized Clark's comments as highly inappropriate and irresponsible. In contrast, Richard Tice, leader of Reform UK, which is polling third nationally, likened the internal conflict to rats in a sinking sack. Capitalizing on the situation, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer accused the Tories of prioritizing party issues over national interests. Sunak, during Prime Minister's questions, shifted focus to Starmer's political track record, calling him a human weather vane. This internal strife within the Conservative Party was further highlighted by Sir Simon Clark's column in The Telegraph, where he expressed his belief that Sunak's leadership might lead the Conservatives to an electoral defeat. Well, I, I know Simon very well. I like him and respect him. I could not disagree with him more on this particular uh, issue. The UK Ministry of Defence has clarified that there are currently no plans to implement conscription, despite comments made by Army Chief General Sir Patrick Sanders advocating for the formation of a citizen army 
and the expansion of the regular army. This statement came after General Sanders' speech at the International Armored Vehicles Expo in Twickenham, West London, where he highlighted the need for a larger British army. His remarks followed a warning from a NATO official about the possibility of the alliance being at war within the next two decades. Former Defense Committee Chair Tobias Elwood, who has served alongside Sir Patrick, emphasized the importance of heeding the Army Chief's advice. However, both Downing Street and the MOD have stated that there are no current plans to reintroduce conscription. In his speech, General Sanders suggested that the UK should aim for an army size of 120,000, including reserve and strategic reserve forces, within three years. He also noted that allies in Eastern and Northern Europe are already preparing for national mobilization in light of the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much. James O'Neill from TNT will be back at 7 o'clock. From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. All right, it looks as though we've got Kaitaia has overtaken. Overtaken, yes, Kaitaia is the warmest place to be. Looking at the extremes, Kaitaia 17 degrees. Waiuru is on 4 degrees. Christchurch, the eastern suburb, is 43 kilometres of wind there. And uh, 0.2 millimetres of rain in the Chatham Islands. Temperatures right across the city now at 5 past 6. Uh, Stewart Island right across the city. No, 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 no. So looking at the main temperatures on the main centres right throughout the whole the country. We've got Stewart Island on 15 degrees, Invercargill 11 degrees, and, uh, Dunedin 14, Chatham Arms 13, Timaru, it's a wee bit nippy there, 7 degrees this morning, Christchurch 12 degrees and Blenheim is on 8. Queenstown has 11 degrees along with France Joseph, Westport 10 and Nelson is on 12. In the North Island, Wellington has uh, 11 degrees. It's still pretty cold there in, in Masterton, Palmerston North's on 12. Oh, Ma- what is Masterton? 6 degrees. New Plymouth 13, Napier 16, Taupo and Rotorua on 11 and 10 degrees. Gisborne this morning, they've got 14 degrees. Tarong is on 15 degrees. Hamilton, it's quite chilly there, 9 degrees this morning. Auckland 15, Whangarei 16 degrees. And Kaitaia, top of the pops with 17 degrees. The short forecast for all New Zealand, out into midnight tonight. Yeah, I told you you are going to say that. Yeah, I know. Uh, Northland to Auckland, mostly fine with the remaining showers clearing this morning. Uh, there's uh, the odd shower about the Northland area this afternoon. For the remainder of the North Island, generally fine weather. You've got showers about Gisborne and Hawke's Bay clearing later on this morning. For Marlborough, Nelson and Buller, mostly fine weather. You've got cloud increasing this evening with rain developing in Buller overnight. Uh, Westland and Fiordland, periods of rain becoming persistent this evening with some heavy falls. Canterbury, North Otago and Dunedin, mainly fine weather with high cloud increasing and a few spots of rain late evening. For Central Otago, Clutha and Southland, Fine at first, but high cloud increasing. One or two showers this afternoon and then rain developing this evening. And for the Chathams, periods of rain easing to a few showers later on uh, this morning. There we are. How about that? That's good, isn't it? Yes. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Or if you want to buy an electric car, some people like an electric car. Like what? 4% of the people? You'll be able to do it long into the future. We're going to put it all back. And if you want to have a gas stove, you're going to be able to have a gas stove. too. (laughs) Can you imagine them saying you can only buy electric cars when they don't go 
far enough, they don't drive long enough, when some people don't like them, and when the batteries are all made 100% in China or in areas that China controls. Yeah, so what's going to happen then? <laughs> That's why here at the farm we're going wood, but then they'll probably stop us selling wood anyway. Now, Justin Pierce is coming up. It's eight minutes past six. Very good morning to you. Uh, according to, though, we just go back to that story that I was talking about just before the news at six, and uh, apparently significant measles outbreak, almost certain to happen, public health experts say. Now, I'll go to that story, and this is put together by Rowan Quinn. Rowan Quinn is the health correspondent, and it says here that um, Mr. the Otago University epidemiologist, Mr. Michael Baker, he said New Zealand was in line for significant outbreak. He said, I think it's almost certain unless we do rapidly raise vaccine coverage, uh, because the problem with measles is that it's so infectious that you need a very high coverage, and uh, otherwise there'll be too many gaps in the population, and then that will then outbreaks will happen. An outbreak could be similar to the one in 2019 where there were more than 2,000 cases and hundreds of people hospitalised, many of them under five. And I think that what this is all about really is, we know what this is about, they're just, uh, it's a cover for their vaccine injuries. That's what it is. That's what it is for medical misadventure. And they're blaming it on some scary virus from somewhere else. That's what I think. Maori Health Authority, they, a clinical director, Rawiri McCree, McKee, McKee, is it? Yes, McKee. McKee Jensen, oh, they've got the triple barrel name there. They said that many were travelling between New Zealand and countries with active cases. Uh, he says that every, is it, is it Rawiri, bloke? Yep, every public health physician, uh, very, every population health expert I know agrees here yeah, because you all the circular reasoning, you all agree with one another because there's money involved as well. And that's what we heard from before, didn't we? From that doctor from Denmark. Uh, it's just a load of nonsense. But anyway, we'll carry on with the story and then we'll, you know, you make your own mind up. But I don't think, I think if you go over to Dr. Sam Bailey and have a listen to her at drsambailey.com, you'll have a very different idea. And her and her husband, Mark, they've had 30 years clinical experience. And so these aren't just, you know, funny people on the internet. They are New Zealand doctors that are, you know, world class. Uh, so every public health physician and every, oh, we said that. Um, now, hundreds of uh, children were hospitalised in New Zealand last outbreak. None died. Now, that's good, isn't it? But since then, vaccination rates have fallen. Yes, that's, we've fallen because we're terrified of your vaccines. We don't trust you. But you say that no experts I know say that we're getting, we're getting through the next outbreak without seeing any tragic deaths of babies. Well, if you keep vaccinating babies, you're going to see more deaths. I think you'll find that there'll be a lot less people um, have problems with measles uh, because they haven't been vaccinated. And people in these other countries around the world, they are being jabbed. Uh, about 95% of people needed to be immune. Now, don't say immune because you know it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't make you immune from from measles. Uh, I mean, my daughter was vaccinated with um, so-called uh, immunised uh, for the MMR and uh, she got measles. An old nurse told us she's actually just got measles. Yeah, and caused by the vaccine. Ministry of Health figures show 83% of two-year-olds were up to date with their vaccines. And we don't even know if that's true because the, the stuff they're telling us is rubbish, which includes measles for the um, Maori kids and um, 70%. Uh, McKee Jensen, uh, Jansen, McKee Jansen said that the health system had consistently underperformed when it came to developing vaccinations for Maori children. Why do they need to develop or oh, deliver? <laughs> deliver them? Yeah, okay. Well, that's because we're all scared of you. We don't trust you anymore. 
If you want to stay fit and healthy, just eat well, eat plenty of meat, lots of protein in that, do some exercise, don't smoke cigarettes, you reckon? Oh, I think I think cigarettes could be the problem, could be. I don't think so, I think that's just a cover. I think that really, the real problem is all that is, is the, uh, you know, the medical, uh, pharmaceutical industry, I think that's what's causing the problems, I think it's... Um, I don't think it's fat about, you know, I don't think it's anything to do with cigarettes at all. Okay, well, there'll be a lot of people who would disagree with you. Now, New Zealand has an immunity gap among tens of thousands of young adults who missed out on one or more vaccinations when they were children, many because of a problem with the system at the time. No, they were scared of being jabbed because they don't trust you, because people do their own research now, don't they? They don't trust Michael Baker and they don't trust the health system. All right, okay, we'll leave that story there then. Okay, so you can make up your own mind. Now, a justice review body set to refer the third case back to court. Criminal Cases Review Commission has set is set to announce another referral before the end of January. I don't even know what that's about. Oh, what is that about? Now, so the watchdog investigating potential miscarriages of justice expected to refer its third case back to the courts within weeks. Criminal Cases Review Commission was established in 2020 and made its first referral two years later, which is uh, 22, isn't it? The second came last month after the commission found problems with the investigation and trial of a man convicted for rape and murder in 1995. The agency has a target of referring cases back to an appellate court by the end of June. Chief Executive Pari Kafira McLean said that she was confident the goal would be met. She said we have another referral to be announced before the end of the month, uh, around about the end of this month, she says, and that we also have a couple of others that will be coming through back to the Commission over the next couple of months, certainly before the end of the financial year. McLean acknowledged the target was much higher than the previous year's referral, but said the agency was now established and had streamlined some processes. There we are. Now, we've also got that problem with the France Joseph River. Apparently it's shifted radically from the storms, the last storm they had, and uh, there's going to be more bad weather on the way, according to forecasters with the civil defence. They have swung into action over the uh, river change and its potential risks. Uh, we're, it's outrageous, apparently. The tax freeze proposal prompts call for the removal of the minister, the minister of uh, Health experts, rather, are uh, outraged at the Associate Minister's proposal to bring a three-year freeze on tobacco and excise tax. And uh, some people want wheelchair users. They call mm, they call for access to beaches. Uh, you can imagine the freedom, can you? Mm. Just put some big rubber tyres on. That's all you need to do, big rubber tyres. You don't need to worry about using taxpayers' money for people in wheelchairs. Anyway, they say the beach, uh, the, the, uh, the beach day is a Kiwi classic, but for people in wheelchair access, beaches are few and far between. All you need to do... All you need to do is give um, the lovely exclusive Brethren people um, up in Whangarei, give them a call. Their name is Treadways. They've got some massive tyres. If you go on Treadway's website, you can have a look there. They've got massive tyres, big wheels, and you can just put some of those flotation wheels on the wheelchair, and then you've got it. You don't need to be worrying about um, taxpayers paying for people in wheelchairs uh, to get onto the beach. Anyway, that's what I say. Now, it's 50 years on from New Zealand's first glimpse of colour television. A veteran television producer has described the arrival of colour television as one of the biggest broadcasting breakthroughs 
uh, of our time. Uh, yes. Now, if you go over to rnz.co.nz, you can go there. There is a podcast on that. Uh, an audio. There we are. Now, a girl aged 10, she's dead after being swept away in Fiordland in a creek. The girl was with family on holiday from Australia and despite being found shortly after falling into the creek, it could not be revived, according to police. Indian New Zealanders celebrate consecutive, uh, rather co- consecration of the Hindu temple. Uh, thousands attended the event in Auckland a, a day before cultural ceremonies were broadcast from India, although uh, thought not uh, everyone supports the festivities. That's what they they say. Look at them all painted up there, all this pagan stuff. And uh, diseased lungs, aged by nicotine. Apparently an exhibition tackles the risk of smoking and vaping. A new exhibition is warning young people about the risks of smoking and vaping. And now uh, it's very timely, and that is in the Otago Museum. Horowinua, they have a scrub fire there. They've got to manage to get it under control yesterday. The fire and emergency say that they were alerted to the blaze near Levin at around uh, quarter to five last night. And an observatory looks at the stars as it awaits the night sky park decision. Oh, the Oxford Observatory. Oxford, no, it's the South Island. Uh, they have um, cashed in on a successful year to buy some new equipment, and it awaits a decision on the community's application for dark sky park status. Now, that's interesting, that. So it's all nice and dark. You can have a look at it and see what's going on in the stars. Uh, a Samoan hip-hop dance family goes international. It makes sense that we jam together. A triple treat. Auckland dance family pay tribute to where it all began. There is a story there you can read for yourself. I wonder if they've got some music over there. Is it... There's a couple of nice um, three three islanders there. Three girls, it is. Uh, Chantal, you've got Emma, and you've got Corbin. Uh, Talela, Talalia, that's their names. Oh, Hutch, they've got a Hutch on the end, they've got a European name on the end. Three members of an Auckland family have found their feet by dancing together here and around the world. Uh, so Emma Hutch is from Jam Republic. Her sister Chantal Hutch is head director of Sands Dance Up Academy. And their cousin is a former royal family dance member, Corbin Tal Leila. Leila, is it Leila? Leila, Leila, yeah. Leila, Leila Hutch. They're, they're dancing together uh, and they have been uh, pairing up. Uh, where, where are they off to? Let's see if I can get to the bottom of the story. Uh, they, they went to represent New Zealand in 2012 at the Hip Hop Dance Championships. And then they moved into dancing under the iconic Samoan New Zealand choreographer Paris Gobel as part of her royal uh, family crew. At the age of 25, she has already danced for pop icons Justin Bieber, J-Lo, Rihanna, and uh, what else is happening there? They've got the big stage performance, including the dance dancing in Rihanna in 2023 at the Super Bowl. So, wow, that's pretty exciting for them. That's good. Good news. Oh, there's a video. Yep, if you go over to RNZ, you will see a video, and they are on that. Brilliant. Now, you've got to keep a sharp eye out for the forecast with the anniversary of Auckland floods approaching. Apparently, Cyclone Kirili, that's bearing down on the far north of Queensland at the moment. That would have passed overnight. They've got winds there of over 100 miles per hour. I think they're expecting winds of 160 uh, kilometres per hour as it approaches the coast, and it's actually there now. And it also could cause heavier-than-usual rainfalls on this side of the Tasman. Now, viewers flock to watch the Royal Cam Albatross Chick Hatch. Apparently, hundreds of thousands of viewers have watched this year's Royal Cam Albatross Chick 
hatch at the Otago Peninsula. And children's rally at Parliament calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. Don't get kids involved. All the kids in Palestine should be safe. Uh, says an eight-year-old. I oh, see they shouldn't be involving children in this. They don't know what they're doing. They just follow the leader. That I just think that's child abuse when you get your kids involved in your protest. Second unexplained death. The police uh, actively um, activity is unusual as a quiet in the a quiet area. Residents say the uh, the residents of quiet Wellington cul-de-sac where police are investigating an unexplained death says it's uh, pretty scary for the neighbours. Apparently. Also, the supermarket, they've got a rat infestation and it prompts a probe. Woolworths has confirmed in recent a recent increase in pest activity at its Countdown Dunedin store, with MPI now investigating. There's an audio there at RNZ. OK, we've got Justin Pierce. It's 20 past. Um, around, just after Justin, we'll have the 6 o'clock bulletin from Radio New Zealand. They'll bring us up to date with real news from real professionals. Here's Justin Pierce on a phone call. It's not very good audio quality, but listen carefully because you'll see that Sean Plunkett's uh, really just been busted, hasn't he? That he's involved financially with the Wright Foundation. Well, the people from the Wright Foundation. Not the foundation itself. He lies about that. But see how he tries to shut down Justin Pierce. Good morning. How are we going? Very well, thank you. Hey, um, I, was, I was just really interested to know, um, I was waiting for an update, because it seems to have been swept under the rug, the $1 million bet that you were offered by Steve Kirsch. Well, we didn't agree on any, uh, we, we didn't agree, Justin, on any of the conditions for that. He thought uh, I also got a correspondence from a large people, a number of people in the United States who had taken him up on that offer and he hadn't paid up and he lost. He, 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 said he, he said he'd put it in a trust account and no, he, he, didn't was, actually. he offered you. So he's a liar. Yeah. Oh, OK. But he offered to fly you to America to look at did the evidence. He, did he? I never, I never got any written correspondence well, through my lawyers no, for that. He, he, said so, he said so in an interview with you. Oh, yeah. Well, he didn't follow it up. No, you, you didn't take up his offer. Oh, I don't know. Really, Justin? You seem to know an awful lot about it. You guys are bullshit artists, Justin, and I see talking to my lawyers. He wrote a document laying out all the specifics, including the specifics of a debate, which you have obviously backed out of. No, Justin. And you also backed out of a million dollar offer. What's the point of your call, Justin? Well, the point is that you always bang on about evidence and all that sort of stuff. And you label anybody with a with a contrary view to yours a conspiracy theorist. No, I don't, Justin. A, 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 a Not anybody, Justin. I would, actually... I would label you as a conspiracy theorist or just a bit of an arsehole. Why? To be oh, because the attitude Why? you've come into this call. No, you've come into this call, Justin, and you're aggressive. And you're Are you really sure you're not a disinformation agent, Sean, or a controlled control opposition? So there we go. We're way down the conspiracy theory fold now, aren't no, we, Justin? Not. What's controlled what? opposition? website did you get the term, uh, the term controlled opposition from? Tell me what controlled no, tell me what controlled opposition is, mate. Controlled opposition is someone with the pretense of having a contrary view to the status quo, yet an actual fact just toes the line of the status quo, which is exactly what you've been doing with the entire vaccine and 
mandate narrative. Well, I don't know about being controlled opposition. I'm a journalist and a broadcaster and have been my whole life, Justin. You keep telling us you're a journalist and your website says open, tolerant... And free. And so on and so forth. And yet, except... Two idiots like you. You're not... You're not tolerant. You're just proving that. Justin, you can ring him. You think I'm an idiot and a conspiracy theorist? Well, no, because controlled opposition is such a bullshit term that seems to be commonly used amongst conspiracy theorists. Yes, it is, Justin. No, it's not. Do you know much about the workings of the FBI and the CIA? No, I'm not obsessed. I'm not falling down that rabbit hole, Justin, and you obviously do. You obviously think those organizations aren't real. Next, you're going to ask me if I've read a certain website or seen some video from some conspiracy theorist, don't you, Justin? No, but you see... Well, well, critical thinking means you can observe information and determine and join yeah. dots. So, Justin, what do you do for a job? Well, you know what I've done for a job most of my I'm life. A builder. You're a, I'm builder. a builder. builder. Okay, all right. What do you do? What do you build? Like I can build the pyramids if you want. Okay, are you employed at the moment? Yes, I am, actually. Okay, and you have a wife and kids? Yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> Good. Well, I don't know why then. I don't know why then you're so worried about the conspiracy theories that clearly, and I can just tell by your by your conversation, the kind of conspiracy theories that consume you. No, I'm not consumed by any theories or anything of that nature. See, the thing is, and so you, why did you ring up, Justin? Why did you ring up, Justin? Well, initially, uh, I was very curious to see why. Um, you you turned down the offer of an easy million and a free flight and expenses paid trip to America to look at data and facts. Because I noticed you swept that one under the uh, and, and you no, I'm happy to talk about it, it doesn't you? Yeah, and he never got in contact, and then he went all off on social media. No, he wasn't. And to be honest, Justin, I didn't no, think the guy was acting in good faith, and I got I got contacted by five or six people in the States who said, we've done that, we've had the de- debate with him, he never paid the million dollars. Well, who were they? Who were they? Oh, look, I, I, I can go back and find out, but to be honest, I don't really care about oh, Steve. Oh, okay, Kirk. so they're sort of just anonymous people. Who no, 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 we interviewed one of them, I think. Oh, okay. Who was that? Oh, a guy from uh, university. But look, that was a while ago. It was last year. Well, what university was that? Justin, go back and look. Actually, become a Platform Plus member. You can go back and look on the air. <laughs> And I've got a, a, another thing too. I also know that um, there's a bit of a vested interest on you to oppose the, the opposing narrative regarding vaccines because the Wright Foundation, one of the spokes, now the Justin, you stop yourself right there. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'll tell you what, Justin. She, I, she represents one of yes, the Wright like Foundation organisations, and you know what, the Wright no, Foundation has. <laughs> Shut up and listen, they Justin. Fund you. Shut up they and behave and listen. I'm going to tell you oh, something. Right. You've got me angry now because you are telling lies. This company has nothing to do with the Wright Family Foundation. Zero nada zilch. But right? you were funded by them. No, I wasn't, Justin. You no, need... there's, a, there's a conflict of interest. No, no, no Justin, they don't them. fund me. The Wright Foundation have nothing to do with the platform. You moron. And I oh, think... so they didn't... But... They funded you. No, they didn't, Justin. You are an ignorant yes, idiot. They did. No, no, oh, you, no, you no. Think, no, I'm telling you, my man, because you are back. lying. You're a lying fool, Justin. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay, then people just... are going to Google this and they're going to find out. No, 
Certainly not lies because it's all been verified. And yeah, you're the liar, actually, Sean, Shawnee Plunkett. <laughs> and you can't, you could go to court if you like, but you're going to lose. Just going to be a waste of money because what Justin said is actually verified. It's absolutely right. Justin Pierce, that's how he's our roving reporter. He's very good. He is a builder, very good builder as well. Uh, been building for a long, long time. And uh, yet he's got a family. And uh, so he's trying to see how he's trying to denigrate him. And so Sean Plunkett was certainly on the back foot there. So he is involved with the rights. And uh, so that's why he um, f- sacks anyone uh, that uh, says anything negative about the whole the Jackson thing. All right, uh, Jordan Peterson coming up, and uh, after him we'll have Radio New Zealand's the six o'clock bulletin. What? Tory what? Castration and double mastectomies for thirteen-year-olds? Well, yeah, no, seriously, oh, yeah. man. That's that's crossed the line. That is not tolerance. In, in some that sense. is an inexcusable silence on the part of the majority, the vast majority who knows this to be wrong in the deepest possible sense. Most of the bloody Nazi propaganda that led to the extermination policies at the beginning of World War II were predicated initially on compassion and tolerance. So this whole, we're being compassionate and tolerant, it's like, no you're not. You're aiding and abetting the surgical mutilation of minors. That is not compassionate. And it's not tolerant. There we are. That's those puberty blockers. That's what that is. 29 minutes away from 7 o'clock. And uh, before we go to RNZ, let's just have a quick look at News Hub now. The news story has just come through. A New Zealand man is among the four people injured after a serious helicopter uh, accident in Canada this week. Three others and two have been named as Italian tourists and they were killed when the helicopter crashed into the top of a mountain near the city of Terence on Monday afternoon. The New Zealander remains in critical condition in a hospital in Vancouver where several of his family members arrived on Thursday yesterday to be with him. Uh, he's one of four survivors of the crash. The other was critically injured while uh, two sustained serious injuries. The helicopter was a Koala Augusta A119 
and it was carrying skiers near Terrace. It was one of three helicopters carrying a group on a backcountry ski trip. I think they call it heli-skiing, when it went down at about uh, quarter past four in the afternoon on Monday. Uh, Northern Escape uh, helicopter skiing president John Forrest said one of the passengers was able to use the onboard radio after the accident to call for help. He said it's impossible to put into words the profound grief that we feel and the sorrow that our guests and our staff share right now. Uh, police say the helicopter was lost, lost contact with the aircraft before it was spotted. They spotted the crash site. Two other helicopters then transported the four survivors from the crash site to paramedics who rushed them to hospital 50 kilometres away. It remains unclear why the helicopter went down and a, a number of agencies are investigating the cause of that accident. OK, so uh, coming up, we'll have uh, Radio New Zealand News in just a moment. Actually, before we do, we'll just hear what's going on over with the smart cities in Oxford. I want to create an actual prison infrastructure around you. And if people think this is a conspiracy theory, Oxford, England already has the 15-minute city implemented on the ground, everything there. It is the model for the rest of the world to follow. They have changed it into six so-called districts, just like the Hummer Games. In each district, they remove the majority of automobile lanes. The ones that are still available, they call them ultra-low emissions lanes. So you can only drive on them if you have an electric vehicle or you're a government vehicle. Now, between your district and the next district, they put physical traffic barricades, cement bollards that can come up from the ground when they don't want you to leave, and traffic cameras that not only monitor you, but take your license plate and will automatically fine you if you leave the district when you're not allowed, because they have lit times where you're allowed to leave and not. You're listening to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards, uh, and we are. You're listening to the World at Five. World at Five. That's what it is. We've got Radio New Zealand news coming up right now. Let's uh, go to the six o'clock bulletin, and then I'll be back with a, a weather update for what you can expect for tomorrow. RNZ News at six. Morena. I'm Mark Leishman. More than 1,400 new house consents have been granted in floodplains in Auckland since devastating flooding damaged houses, thousands of homes in the city a year ago. The consents account for more than 10% of all new dwellings granted building permission in that time. Ilan Noy, the Economics of Disasters and Climate Change Chair at Victoria University, says it makes no sense to build new houses in areas that may face managed retreat in the future. Auckland Councillor Richard Hill says the new consents are frustrating, but councils have to grant consent if applicants can show they've taken steps to reduce the risk. He says better planning direction from the government, including resource management reform, would help. An epidemiologist says a surge in overseas measles cases means a significant outbreak in New Zealand is almost inevitable this year. There's been a 45-fold increase in cases in Europe in the past year, with hundreds of cases in Britain. New Zealand has had a handful in the past few months, but all have been contained. Professor Michael Baker says as travel increases amid a fall in the country's vaccination rates, some cases are bound to spread. I think it's almost certain, unless we can rapidly raise vaccine coverage, because the problem with measles is that it's so infectious, you need very high coverage with not too many gaps in the population if you want to stop outbreaks. 
Ministry of Health figures show just 83% of two-year-olds are up to date with their vaccines, which includes measles. Gaza's Hamas-run health ministry says a major hospital in an area of Khan Yunus being bombarded by Israeli forces has run out of food, anaesthetics and painkillers. The El Nassar Hospital is one of only two still functioning in the city. As intense fighting continues, Palestinian medics say patients and staff at both the El Nassar and nearby Al Amal hospitals are unable to leave. The finance minister says her plans to cut public spendings haven't changed, despite asking for more government departments to identify potential savings. The National Party campaigned on making savings in 24 public agencies, but the Finance Minister has since asked all departments to identify possible cuts. The Labour Party says the coalition is scrambling to find money to pay for its promised tax cuts. Nicola Willis says the government's commitments remain unchanged. Labour's public services spokesperson Aisha Viral says many are making the proposed cuts with no impact on frontline they services will be very challenging. Investigators are today gathering evidence from the site of a boating accident in Doubtful Sound. A scenic cruise vessel ran aground near Crooked Arm just after six o'clock on Wednesday evening. Sumya Abdelmedbati reports. 57 passengers and 10 crew were on board the MV Fjordland Navigator, but no one was injured. Investigators from the Transport Accident Investigation Commission arrived in the region yesterday. Today they're speaking to witnesses and collecting evidence from the vessel and the accident site. Their work will continue over the weekend, but it could be up to two years before the marine safety inquiry is completed. The Commission says it's investigating because the circumstances of the accident could have significant implications for transport safety. Maritime New Zealand and the boat's operator, RealNZ, are also investigating. Soumya Bumapati reporting there. The Hamilton Zoo has revealed the gender of its two new Sumatran tiger cubs born this month. Both are females. Sumatran tigers are listed as critically endangered, with fewer than 400 animals remaining in the wild. Hamilton Zoo's Nature Precinct Director Beard Fleming says the birth of the female cubs is going to help expand the species population. He says the cubs' names are yet to be decided. Who cares? That's what I say. Police in Thailand have arrested a woman whose pet lion was pictured going on a joyride in the streets of Pattaya. A video shows the chained lion cub seated in the back of a white open-top Bentley. The BBC's Camilla Mill reports. Video shows the lion cub being driven around in a Bentley, watched by startled onlookers. A Sri Lankan man who was also in the car has since left the country. It's not illegal to own a lion in Thailand, but the animals need to be officially registered. The authorities say the woman is facing charges of possessing a controlled wild animal without permission. The offence carries a penalty of a year's imprisonment and a fine of almost $3,000. Police are also reportedly looking to charge the Sri Lankan man who had kept the lion in his rented holiday villa. And that's the news.
Kia ora, thank you very much for that, Mark. We're coming up here on Morning Report. Oh, that's Morning uh, Report. Develop- here we are. Oh, we've got more news. Here we are. On the uh, case of the former Spanish football chief who kissed the uh, World Cup winner, winning captain, Yeni Hermoso, you will recall, back in the Football World Cup. More on that. Uh, first, though, Nathan Rariri is in with sport. Kia ora, Nathan. Kia ora. Right, what's been oh. happening? In- Kia ora. In the Aussie Open overnight. Well, Get us up to date, will you? Yeah, it's quite good, this. Uh, Arena Sabalenka continued her confident march towards a second successive Australian Open crown with a straight sets victory over Coco Goff, and that sets up a title decider against the Chinese 12th seed Kenwen Jing. Jing ended qualifier Diana Rostremska's remarkable run Penis. with a straight sets loss in their semi final. Hosts India bowled England out for a modest 246 and then cruised to 119 for one in reply on day one of the opening test in Hyderabad. Meanwhile, the West Indies are 266 for eight after the first day of their second test against Australia in Brisbane. And... Awards time, Australia captain Pat Cummins and England's Brunt have been named the ICC's Cricketers of the Year. Australian opener Usman Khawaja was the Test Cricketer of the Year. Virat Kohli, the Men's ODI Cricketer of the Year. And Sri Lanka's Chamara Atapatu, or Chamari Atapatu, uh, who is currently playing for the Northern Brave in the Super Smash, won the Women's ODI Cricketer of the Year Award. That's your sports news. All right, that's the news. Oh, that is the news. Okay, 19 minutes to 7, TNT Radio will have some good news there from them. Um, Matt Welsh. The third point that's very important is that none of this is new, Um, at least not as new as it may seem. The roots of of modern gender ideology can be traced all the way back to the 19th century, in fact, arguably even earlier than that. But it really began to take its current shape in the mid-20th century thanks to the work of two hideously evil crackpots named Alfred Kinsey and John Money. John Money These are names that everybody should know and few people do. In the interest of time, I'll focus on John Money for just a moment. It's worth looking into Alfred Kinsey, though. Uh, We talk about him in the film a little bit, but an even deeper dive is worthwhile. If you do, in fact, do that, make sure to have a vomit bucket handy. Um, as for John Money, he was a prominent psychologist and sexologist and uh, one, of the, one of the early pioneers of the gender theories that are currently taught in grade schools and universities. He was among the first to take the word gender out of the realm of, of grammar and apply it to people. Because until him, you know, we never said that people have a gender. Well, people have a sex and gender is, words have gender. But he said, no, 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 Uh, people have gender and sex. And he coined that. He also coined the terms gender role, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Suffice it to say, he was an extremely influential man, and anybody who propagates left-wing gender theory today is repeating at least some of the ideas of John Money, whether they know it or not, and most of them do not know it. That That fact, I think, ought to trouble gender theory proponents because John Money was, among other things... Um, a fraud and an abuser and a pedophile. Jumping to 1965, the birth of twins Bruce and Brian Reimer, um, the boys are born healthy except for a condition called phimosis, which affects the foreskin. And it was decided incorrectly, it turns out, that the best way to treat the condition was uh, circumcision. But Bruce's procedure went horribly wrong and his penis was uh, essentially burned off. After several months of grasping for answers, Bruce's parents eventually decided to take him to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to see the renowned gender uh, surgeon, Dr. John Money. New Zealand pervert. 
And the good doctor, eager to prove the legitimacy of his theory that gender is a product of environment and culture, recommended that Bruce undergo sex reassignment surgery. So before the age of, uh, of two, the deed had been done, his testicles were removed, some crude approximation of female genitalia was formed, and um, Money instructed his parents to raise him as a girl and said that, well, this will work perfectly because gender is a social construct. So create a social construct of femininity for him and uh, he will be a her and that will be it, happily ever after. Well, not so. The Reimer parents tried to follow Money's advice, but they found that Bruce was still Bruce, even if they called him Brenda. It did everything in their power to preserve his fragile and false female identity. Gender is a construct, they were told. Why should a boy raised as a girl still have boyish tendencies? Still, ultimately, Money was convinced that his project had been a smashing success, and he bragged of his triumphs in many published works. But it was not a success. The female identity never took hold for Bruce. He was confused and miserable and on the verge of suicide until, as a teen, his mother finally told him the truth. Bruce chose immediately to transition back to a boy taking the name of David. Uh, he underwent another reassignment surgery, this time to try and reclaim his true self. And he felt better for a time, but neither his brother nor himself lived happily ever after. Um, ultimately, they both ended up committing suicide. No. That makes your blood boil, doesn't it, eh? Now, their deaths go down in history as suicides, but they were both effectively murdered by John Money, who's the father of modern gender theory. And that's the birth of gender ideology as we know it today. It was born in abuse and despair and death. And that is what it has reaped ever since. And that is um, Matt Welsh there. And uh, I've got a call from Kerry Kerry Woodham. She had a call from uh, a New Zealander worried about the education of our children. We're going to be using uh, John Money's um, theories on educating children about sex. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Uh, Gareth, hi. Um, A couple of months ago, I was very concerned about uh, some of the school curriculum. Um, I asked uh, my daughter's school to provide the documents they had around it, specifically relationships and sexual sexuality education, not sexual education. And um, they provided me what they received from the Ministry of Education. And uh, quite frankly, I was shocked. I'm, I'm seriously concerned. I've got two kids school age. I have four under four. Yeah. So I'm very concerned about what they're going to be teaching five-year-olds next year. Um, and just in general, I mean, the, the Ministry's documents specifically references the works of John Money. Uh, John Money was a Kiwi. Yes. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, he was a scientist who um, it has never been officially discredited in academia. All his studies appear to be still recognised and built upon. But um, his own works, I mean, his one of his studies, his proposal was that children are inherently sexual creatures. And as part of that study, he judges made six-month-old babies orgasm along with many, many other age groups as part of his work, and that is promoted by the Ministry of Education, that we have to Thanks. incorporate the works of John Money. Really? Into our- yes, it's written there. Oh, I can send you the document, Gary. I've got it right here. John Money? John Money, yeah. yeah. It's written specifically in the Relationships and Sexuality Education. 
Because he yeah. did that botched experiment on the twins, remember? Yes. I yeah, remember. he's called the father of um, gender identity for taking twin boys. Um, both been yeah. circumcised. One of them had his penis removed as part of a botched circumcision. God. He raised that child as a girl. Um, he wrote that it was a great success. Uh, both those boys ended up killing themselves uh, as men. Um, and one of them, who was not transitioned, who survived a couple of years later, still heavily taking drugs because he was affected by the experiments. As he would be. Um, yeah, he wrote that. Um, I find that really hard to believe that they would be incorporating anything from him because he also tried to use Depot Provera to suppress sex drive and sex offenders, didn't he? Uh, well, he's done lots of stuff. He's well respected. There's lots of photos out there with him with New Zealand politicians shaking hands. Um, so it kind of comes together why they want to remove biology from the science department when they're promoting the works of John Money, who realistically was a pedophile and used his scientific yep. studies yeah, to perpetuate child abuse. And, and as I say, Kerry, he has never been academically discredited. He is still referred to in transgender works to this day. Um, so I, as I say, my kids are at a Catholic school. I was considering even going to the Muslim school. I've seen some of their documentation around this. The Muslim, uh, forget, is a parents association. They've put um, warnings out around this topic. Um, you know, but I think homeschool is the only way to go because it says that you must incorporate this gender ideology into every subject in your school throughout the whole year. Well, I mean, I don't have a problem with learning about, you know, gender dysphoria and things like in that. Maths class? In maths class? Well, not maths class, but I mean, not from not from the works of John Money. Well, why not? They're not discredited, Kerry. I mean, you would have thought that's the first thing a, a university could do, is go, hey, hold on, children are not inherently sexual creatures. This was abuse. But no, unfortunately, we pretend it's real and we build upon it. Bloody hell. Thank you, Gareth. Uh, News Talk ZB, 11.22. There we are. What do you think about that? Uh, Blimey, Charlie, that's not too good, is it? That is, uh, there we are, that backs up what Matt Welsh was talking about, doesn't it? Well and truly backs it up. It's 11 minutes to 7, TNT Radio News coming up at 7 o'clock. We've got um, Joe Rogan. And Samantha Edwards talking about the Public Interest Journalism Fund. If you want to chop your dick off, I have nothing against that. I'm not anti-gay. I'm not anti-transgender. I'm not anti any of these things. What I'm, what I am anti is propagating your worldview on other people's children. If you're gay and you can't have kids, why do you now believe it's your right to go to other people's kids and tell them how to think? If you've decided that the type of sex you want to have will prevent you from recreate from procreating, that's your decision. Right? You've decided that having sex with women isn't worth it for you. You don't want to have children. You want to have sex with men. Fine. Your decision and you're entitled to it. That does not give you the entitlement to go to other people's families who did decide to have children and raise them and try and program their children. Leave the kids alone. You can be as transgender as you like. Don't come talk to my kid about it. That's my child. I will program my child with my worldviews. I raise them. I pay for them. They're my kid. They're not your kid. And they're not the government's kid. That's probably about the only thing I agree with Andrew Tate on. Okay, we've got Joe Rogan coming up next and also Samantha Edwards on the Public Journalism Fund. Smart people, they're, they know what they're doing. We have, they're at the top of their game. We have somebody that's not at the top of his game, never was at the top of a game, never was. We have a guy who's a dumb son of a bitch and to allow this to happen. A teenage girl? 
who was Googling uh, pregnancy tests because maybe she got pregnant. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she had searched pregnancy test, she got coupons in the mail for baby products. And her parents said, what, are the, why, what is this? She got outed. There you go. That's a little weird. Yeah, but it's, it's the kind of thing that can happen. Mm, that's right. Okay, Samantha Edwards, it's uh, nine minutes away from seven o'clock. Most of it's rubbish. So I feel saddened for those journalists and I see something. In the weeks leading up to the coming New Zealand general election, Winston's been touching on a number of issues that he knows will prick up the ears of those who are awake and aware. They wanted to give the media $54 billion. $55 million. Million dollars, fifty-five million dollars. Sorry, yes. And he's causing a lot of people to think he's on the side of right. So we're going to be accused by all. For example, although he's known ever since the public interest journalism fund was launched back in 2020 that the title is a complete oxymoron and that the words government-paid media and public interest don't belong anywhere in the same sentence. He's never made a stand against it before now. But suddenly he's talking about how the media have been bribed and that that's just not okay. Public journalism interest fund is going to be based on this. You're going to follow this narrative. Why didn't he say something earlier about this? And look how far down the rabbit hole of uh, the non Is it just a coincidence that he didn't talk about it while the fund was open, but now that it's recently closed, he is? No damage can be done to the scheme by talking about it now that it's closed. Our government has paid off our media to the tune of $66 million. Because as it states here, three million's yet to be allocated. Now, why wouldn't Winston have spoken up back when it was still open? And when he could have done something about it? And how can we not mention Winnie's sudden statements about Māori not being indigenous? That's a conversation that's been happening online amongst the truth community more and more over the last few months. Surely Winnie must have known this, being part Scottish and part Māori, 78 years old. Why has he never mentioned it before? Why is it only now, on the campaign trail, that he's suddenly making specific public statements aligned with exactly what a group whose votes he'd like to pick up is also talking about? Hapuapua is based on the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. Another globalist agenda, repackaged as co-governance for New Zealand. And the fact that Māori aren't indigenous takes the justification for co-governance out at the knees. And Winston knows that we've been talking about that. Now, that particular message, coupled with the jab compensation message, are pretty clear indicators as to the voter base that he's targeting. There we are, six minutes to uh, six minutes to seven, and uh, that is Samantha Edwards. She is uh, reporting from Samantha Edwards Reports. You'll find her at Counterspin Media, and you'll find them at counterspinmedia.com. While you're there, hit the donate button, give them a wee donation. I don't know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> that should that should help uh, replace some of the. Um, some of the equipment that the New Zealand police has stolen from them. And, uh, yeah, why did they do that for? I wonder what they were after. Now, we've got sad news, actually. Last week uh, we heard that Laura Lynch, the founding member of the Dixie Chicks, uh, she played on the country's, um, country's act. Very first three albums, she had died, age 65. Uh, she was um, in a car crash. She sustained uh, terrible injuries there and was killed. Uh, in an accident on the highway outside of El Paso, Texas. 
TMZ first reported and the Texas Department of Public Safety later confirmed Lynch, the former Dixie Chicks band mates, also confirmed that on a death on a statement about her death, uh, they made a social media post and uh, says that we hold special place in our hearts for the time we spent playing music, laughing and travelling together. Laura was a bright light. Her infectious energy and humour gave a spark to the early days of our band. Laura had a gift for design and a love of all things Texas and was instrumental in the early success of the band. Her undeniable talents helped propel us, these are the band members saying this, uh, beyond busking on street corners to stages across Texas and the Midwest. So I've got a song from the Dixie Chicks coming up just before the news at 7 o'clock.
There we are, wonderful musicians there. The Dixie Chicks, they call themselves the Chicks now, and they had to ring New Zealand, um, the Chicks here over here, to make sure that they had a permission to uh, call themselves the Chicks because it was they reckon there was something wrong with calling themselves the Dixie Chicks. Pretty silly, really. We've got um, TNT Radio News coming up very shortly. Uh, before then, what have we got on the, what's on the boil with the news, I wonder? Let's, let me see if there's any new news that just popped up. Uh, the latest is, of course, the ministry offers voluntary redundancies as government accuses of, accused of sneaking in more cuts. All departments are now being asked to find savings, the financial minister has confirmed. And the government tax cuts, we're still working through the exact details, they say. And uh, what else have we got here? Cuts loom large as Christopher Luxon's government targets the economy. And uh, 1,415 new homes in flood-prone areas since the last year's floods. Auckland Council urges residents to be prepared for the next big flood, but has hundreds of homes to be built in places it is expected to be hard hit. So that's no good. So uh, we just stand by now for uh, TNT Radio News. Coming up very shortly. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. Now, ENT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Jeff DeWitt, the chair of the Arizona Republican Party, announced his resignation amidst controversy surrounding leaked audio that allegedly captured him trying to persuade Carrie Lake to withdraw from political involvement. The audio includes suggestions of potential incentives and references to unnamed powerful people. In his resignation statement, DeWitt acknowledged the existence of the audio, but criticized its selective editing and expressed frustration with Lake for recording their private conversation. DeWitt defended the conversation as an open exchange meant to provide insight rather than exert pressure. However, in the recording, DeWitt is heard insisting that the conversation should remain undisclosed, which contradicts his claim of transparency. He avoided discussing specific details from the recording, such as the insinuated offers, and his remarks about potential consequences from revealing information about influential individuals. Ultimately, DeWitt cited an ultimatum from Lake's team, which threatened to release more damaging audio as a reason for his decision to step down from his party's leadership role. The aspect I got today from back east was, this is us. Is there any companies out there or something that could just put her on the payroll and give her to keep her out? The Houthi group in Yemen claimed to have struck an American warship and caused two U.S.-owned commercial vessels to withdraw following a missile attack in the Gulf of Aden in Bab al-Mandeb area. This claim was made by Yahya Suri, a spokesman for the Houthis. According to Suri, the incident involved several American destroyers and warships providing protection for the commercial ships. He asserted that the Houthis achieved a direct hit on an American warship during the conflict, which lasted around two hours. Suri also claimed that several of their ballistic missiles reached their intended targets despite efforts by the warships to intercept them. However, the U.S. Central Command contradicted this claim, stating that all incoming missiles had been successfully intercepted and shot down. The Houthis, a Shia group controlling parts of Yemen, including the capital Sana'a, have been targeting vessels associated with Israel since late October in solidarity with Palestinians in Gaza. Following bombings in Yemen by British and American forces earlier in the month, the Houthis expanded their restrictions on U.S. and U.K. merchant ships as well. 
Former President Donald Trump has issued a stern warning to his major donors, stating that those who continue to support his Republican primary opponent, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, will be excluded from the MAGA camp. In a post on True Social, Trump criticized the practice of losing candidates' donors, offering support to the winner, declaring that this would no longer be acceptable in his circle. He referred to Haley as Birdbrain, a nickname he uses for her, and stated that any future contributions to her campaign would lead to a permanent ban from his movement, emphasizing his America First stance. This statement marks a clear expression of Trump's stance on Haley's continued participation in the race, especially after her losses to him in both Iowa and the New Hampshire primaries. Until now, Trump had not explicitly called for her to withdraw from the race. In response to Trump's remarks, Haley, who is currently campaigning in South Carolina, where Trump leads by a significant margin, posted on X, encouraging donations to her campaign with a defiant message and a link to her donation page. The Supreme Court of Maine dismissed an appeal by the State Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, regarding her decision to disqualify former President Donald Trump from appearing on Maine's presidential primary ballot. The case has been returned to the Maine Superior Court for additional proceedings, while a related case in Colorado is being reviewed by the U.S. Supreme Court. The Maine Supreme Court's decision was based on the principle of the final judgment rule, which requires a decision from a trial court to be final before an appeal can be considered. The court stated that the appeal did not come from a final judgment, and therefore they dismissed it as not suitable for judicial review at this stage. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James, and we'll have more news from them at 8 o'clock, as he said. Uh, coming up, we've got some weather, and then we'll have a look at some New Zealand news. We'll go through the uh, the newspapers. Uh, they're called newspapers? No, I don't think they do anymore, do they? With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. Alrighty, it's five and a half minutes past the hour of seven o'clock and the extremes for New Zealand now. Auckland North Shore, 17.1 degrees, the lowest temperature 4.2 in Waiuru. The windiest place to be is Christchurch in the eastern suburb at the moment with 43 kilometres of wind and it's dry across all the main centres in New Zealand. The uh, temperatures across the main centres, Stewart Island's on 16 degrees, Chatham Island's 13 degrees, Invercargill 12, Dunedin 14, starting to warm up a bit there. Timaru's a bit nippy with uh, 7 degrees there, Queenstown's on 12. Over the west coast, Franz Joseph 11 degrees, Westport 10, Nelson's on 11. Blenheim, it's cool there as well, 8 degrees right now as I speak. Christchurch is on 12. In the North Island, Wellington is uh, 12 degrees, Masterton's up one notch from 6 to 7. Uh, Palmerston North, 12 degrees, New Plymouth's on 13, Napier 11, Tarpo's also on 11, Rotorua down 1 to uh, 10 degrees, uh, Gisborne's on 14, Tauranga 15 degrees, Hamilton really quite cool there for this time of the year, 9 degrees, Auckland's on 15, Whangarei up a notch to 16 and Kaitai has dipped, it was I think 17, 16 or 17 degrees uh, about an hour ago, it's now 15 degrees. The short forecast for all New Zealand, for Northland, Auckland, mostly fine with the remaining showers clearing this morning. The odd shower about Northland this afternoon. For the remainder of the North Island, generally fine with showers about Gisborne and Hawke's Bay clearing late morning. 
for Marlborough, Nelson and Buller, mostly fine, but the cloud increasing this evening and rain developing in Buller tonight. For Westland and Fiordland, periods of rain becoming persistent this evening with some heavy falls. Canterbury, North Otago and Dunedin, mainly fine weather today, but high cloud increasing at a few spots of rain late afternoon uh, and towards the evening. For Central Otago, Clutha and Southland, fine at first, but high cloud increasing. One or two showers this afternoon, and then you've got rain developing this evening. Sorry to hear that. Uh, Chatham Islands, periods of rain, then easing to a few showers later in the morning. The extended forecast for Saturday for the North Island, cloud increasing with showers developing. This is on Saturday, and only isolated showers for Hawke's Bay and Gisborne. In the South Island tomorrow, we've got uh, rain in the west and uh, the south, heavy at first, easing to scattered rain elsewhere, and it's going to be clearing. On Sunday in the North Island, rain developing, possibly heavy. South Island, rain returning to the west and south, heavy at times, partly cloudy elsewhere with isolated showers at Canterbury. On Monday in the North Island, scattered rain easing in the west. South Island, showers in the west and south, clearing. Uh, showers developing in Canterbury and southern Marlborough, mainly fine for Nelson. The extended forecast for the Chatham Islands, mostly cloudy on Saturday and Sunday, with northerlies and a chance of a shower. Rain at times on Monday with northeasterlies becoming strong for a time. OK, I'll be back with some New Zealand news. It is nine minutes past seven. Yes, nine minutes past seven. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Yes, it's tntradio.live. All right, well, we've been sort of thrashing RNZ this morning, haven't we? So maybe we should have a look at the Otago Daily Times and see what's happening there. Uh, a man is charged over the death of the Arrowtown Butcher. A 28-year-old man has been charged in relation to the death of Royburn Station's head butcher. Uh, there, that story there. And that 10-year-old girl sadly drowned in Fiordland Creek. Ten-year-old girl has died after being swept down the Marion Creek in Fiordland National Park. Now, apparently she went into the water and they got her out as quickly as they could, but she was found unresponsive. Uh, rats in the aisles of Dunedin Supermarket. Apparently staff at a major Dunedin Supermarket. I think it's Countdown. Or is it Woolworths? Aren't they the same? I think they are. Might be anyway. Pretty sure they are. Uh, they've got rats there running rampant in the store and the fear that the, there is a fear that the public have been sold contaminated food. Uh, other news in Dunedin, demolition wrong, wrong decision here. The Heritage Advocates are urging the uh, DCC, that's the, um, uh, what would that be, Dunedin City Council, to reject an application to demolish an uh, historically significant Dunedin home to draw a line in the sand. That should show the city cares about heritage. And summertime to chill for stayers in student uh, Studentville. There we are, every year Dunedin students a quarter transforms from a student quarter rather transforms from partly central to a ghost town it does doesn't it at this time of the year and we've got a rape trial uh, consent not uh, communicated as I oh, was asleep. Oh, yeah, I don't even want to read these stories. A Dunedin man's been accused of raping an intoxicated woman, told police in the uh, interview that he thought the act was consensual. <laughs> How can you do that when you're asleep, you half-wit? Put, put him in jail, that's what I would say. 
put them in jail. Now, uh, we heard earlier that a skier um, has been uh, uh, injured, a New Zealander, in a heli crash accident where a helicopter went down. Uh, New Zealander remains in critical condition in a hospital in Vancouver. Uh, the um, Several family members, they've arrived on Thursday to be with him, uh, one of the four survivors of the crash. Uh, the other one was critically injured while he sustained, two sustained serious injuries. The helicopter was a Koala Augusta, it's an A119, and it carried skiers near Terrace, that's a place over in Canada, and it was one of three helicopters carrying a group on a backcountry ski trip uh, when the plane went down at quarter past four. Uh, North Escape Heli skiing president John Forrest said one of the passengers was able to use an onboard radio after the accident to call for help. He said it's impossible to put into words the profound grief that we feel and the sorrow for our guests and staff that they are sharing right now. Police say the helicopter lost contact with the aircraft before it was spotted. They spotted the crash site. Two other helicopters then transported four survivors from the crash site to paramedics who rushed them to hospital 50 kilometres away. It remains unclear why the helicopter went down and a number of agencies uh, investigating into the crash. All right, we're still with um, News Hub right now. And the... um, the colony will fall. James Cook's statue vandalised amid Australia Day tensions. So we're over in Australia now. And I'll just get rid of that wee video there and I'll be able to bring you the story. A statue of the British, uh, Britain's James Cook and Queen Victoria have been vandalised in Melbourne Melbourne as tensions build ahead of Australia Day on Friday. That's today, the 26th. Yes, it's Australia Day. And they're trying to cancel it, aren't they? All the supermarkets are not selling merchandise and it's a real for all. We might pop over to uh, Sky News and see what they say about it. A century-old statue of Captain James Cook at St Kilda was chopped off the, its pedestal at the ankle, and a message in red paint was written on its memorial plaque reading, The Colony Will Fall. Oh, nonsense. Uh, local police believe the vandalism was carried out on Thursday morning at around about 3.30 in the morning saying several police were loitering in the area at the time. Meanwhile, a statue of Queen Victoria, which stands about five kilometres away at the Queen Victoria Gardens, was also sprayed with red paint. Victorian Premier, uh, Victoria Premier Jacinta Allen said on Thursday the state government will help restore the statues. She says uh, this sort of vandalism has no place in our community. Two years ago, the James Cook statue was covered in red paint as part of a protest action against Australia Day. Australia Day has historically commemorated the arrival of the first British ships in Sydney in 1788. But many Australians now see the day as marking an unwelcome invasion by a colonising empire, labelling labelling the anniversary Invasion Day instead. Last year, thousands of Australians marked the holiday with rallies to support the First Nations and the Torres Strait Island people. Woolworths Australia has been slammed as hypocritical on Thursday for deciding to promote food that's great value for the Australian Australia Day long weekend after controversially saying it was refused has refused to stock Australia Day merchandise this year. On Thursday, CEO Brad Buducci, he defended the decision not to stock the themed merchandise such as flags and caps. Australia Day, he says, means different things to everyone. We want everyone to make their choice about how they mark Australia Day. Well, why don't you have the stuff there so they can choose to buy it or not? One customer wasn't impressed with the first move, Woolworths, more than happy to sell food products to promote it as Australia Day, but refused to sell any Australia Day merchandise. Just a tad hypocritical, don't you think, she wrote. She saw the new catalogue yesterday 
and thought that was odd, another customer said. Woolworths maintained it will offer a huge variety of products to help customers mark the day as they choose. They say there are many other ways in which we are supporting our customers and our team to celebrate Australia, such as acknowledging the best of Australian products in our stores and online for supporting our team to mark Australia Day with their local community, according to a store spokesman. It reportedly did not mention Australia Day in any of its promotions in January 2022 or 2023. Oh, well, there we go. What else have we got happening now? We've got a loud, loud crunching sound was heard. A major road was closed after a car crash into, crashed into Auckland Railway Station into the overbridge. So we'll just pop over to that one there. And it looks as though a major road in Auckland's Epson has been closed after a car crashed into a barrier above Rimura train station. A white van collided into a metal barrier along the overbridge of Market Road, which emergency service responded to just after three o'clock yesterday. Police have closed the northbound, well they did then, closed the northbound State Highway 1 off-ramp following the single vehicle crash and motorists were advised to avoid the area. I think that's all been tidied up now, hasn't it? Surely it's a bit of a smash though. Oh boy. One person was recording the train announcement, he said, and we suddenly heard a loud crunching of metal. Trains were still coming as it was happening. The car seemed to have hit the live wire as one was swinging and small sparks were visible. Others waiting for trains were shocked when they saw the scene of the crash. Holy shit, one one person exclaimed. Uh, someone's crashed their car. Look, look, someone there just crashed, the child could be heard saying on the video. In a statement to New Zealand Transport, that's the Auckland Transport, I suppose, on Thursday, they got some fellow waka, kakatiki or something, I don't know, waka something. Uh, they are urged, they've urged murderers, uh, uh, I think it's pretty much over, isn't it? Yeah, that's over. I'm over that story anyway. That's a bit boring. Now, uh, what have we got there? John Stewart, he's going to be returning as host to The Daily Show during the US elections. That'll be interesting. Uh, very interesting there. Health and safety call for tighter scaffolding regulations after a, a near miss in Auckland. That's right, it all fell down. And uh, we've got what we've got. It's striking. Heat wave causing New Zealand's sea surface levels to reach near record highs. Oh, nonsense. <laughs> 1973, we had record highs then. Uh, that looks like it's pretty much it. The top stories are India put England on the back foot with the dominant opening day at Hyderabad test. That's just popped through in the last few moments. And 20 Palestinians, they're Arabs actually, uh, killed in airstrikes while queuing to collect food and aid, according to Palestinian terrorists. So you don't know whether that's true or not, do we? And the signs of a growing sense of unity across Maradon, uh over also over four. Uh, well, we better have a look at that because that's a it's a bit um, a bit clipped, isn't it? We might have to see if we've got some more news on that. Uh, at 2 a.m. on Saturday, Uri Na- Napuhi gathered in the early morning darkness at the Runang office in Kaikoui. After final check-ins, a briefing at the Karakia, the Opi piled, or the Opi, what's that? I don't know. They piled into a 50-seater bus to make the long journey to the Titai Tokorao Na Rua Wahia, where <laughs> I can't do this. No, oh, that's when they all went down to the two ring of Waimai Mariah. They arrived at about 8.30. Anyway, it was, oh, that's, uh, yeah, no, 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 give that one a miss. So what else have we got happening? We're back over to um, 
back. Oh, yes. Now, we've got the um, Trump widens the lead over Biden in a new poll. Back over to Australia now. Let's check that one out, see what they've got on, the, on sale, on offer. Donald Trump leads the Democratic president, Joe Biden, by 6% or 6% points in the latest Reuters poll that showed Americans were unhappy about an election rematch that came into sharp focus this week. The national poll of 1,250 U.S. adults showed Trump leading Biden 40% to 34, with the rest unsure or uh, planning to vote for someone else uh, or no one. Uh, The poll had a margin of error of 3%. That represents a gain for Trump after the Reuters poll conducted earlier this month uh, showed him and Biden tied, uh, though a nationwide survey does not capture the subtleties of the Electoral College contest that will be decided this autumn in just a handful of competitive states. As Trump handedly beat his uh, sole remaining primary challenger, Nikki Haley, in New Hampshire on Tuesday, some 67% of respondents polled on Monday uh, through to Wednesday said that they were tired of seeing the same candidates in presidential elections and wanted someone new. Still, just 18% said that they would not vote if Biden and Trump were their choice. Uh, so that's the news from the United States. And we've got in housing here in New Zealand over 1,400 new homes consented on Auckland floodplains in the year since the flooding. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea, really, to be doing that, is it? There's plenty of places, plenty of land around, in around Auckland, plenty there. It's just spanning out. And so I think they should think about maybe giving consent, not giving consents, and then we won't have the problems. Uh, that's what I say. Anyway, let's check that one out then. I'll give you this one now. Okay, more than 1,400 new house, consent, house consents have been granted in floodplains of Auckland since the devastating floods last year. The latest numbers were published just days before the council launched a Be Prepared campaign encouraging Auckland residents to prepare for and protect their homes for future flooding. An Auckland councillor says the numbers are frustrating, but councils are hamstrung by current planning rules and a lack of direction from the central government. The latest monthly housing update published by the council showed 1,873 new dwellings were consented uh, as in known hazard zones between February and November of 2023. So there we are. We've got, out of those, 1,415 were on floodplains, areas where runoff from waterways will flow. More than 10% of all new homes consented at the time. Consents were also granted for 798 dwellings in flood-prone areas. Natural and human-made features like depressions, dips and gullies were rain, where rainwater can collect. Some dwellings may be in both types of flood zones. One council, the council could not provide a breakdown of where the consents had been granted. However, the spokesman for community group West Auckland is flooding. Lyle Carter said brand new houses had been built in Henderson streets that were flooded last February. They're into it. The risk of flooding for both types of hazards in one, uh, is one percent in any given year, typically referred to as a one in one hundred year flood. Climate change research researchers have warned the public and planners that the risk of the risk and therefore the frequency will increase dramatically in future decades because they're saying uh, they're talking about climate change, aren't they? Uh, Niwa estimated last year's floods, which killed four people, 
were a 1 in 200 year event, but the areas that flooded closely matched Auckland Council modelling. What is that? Did you read that right? No, I don't think you did, did you? No, you didn't read that right. But the areas, I'll read it for you, but the areas that flooded closely matched Auckland City Council modelling. Oh, thank you, Digger. Uh, Victoria University Economics of Disaster and Climate Change Chair, uh, Ian Noy, he says, what does he say? He says that it was obvious that the new dwellings should no longer be consented on floodplains. Of course, it's common sense, isn't it? Yeah, common sense. Every new home built in a known flood zone was a new management retreat risk. Don't you think they should hold the council responsible for allowing that to go through? Because, you know, people that are um, builders, they don't care. They'll plop them everywhere, anywhere. They don't mind. No, I suppose you're right. Yes, you could be right on that one. 19, uh, no, 24 minutes past uh, 7, 24 past 7. And let's see if there's any other fresh news. We'll do a quick refresh. Uh, while that's refreshing, we'll pop over to Radio New Zealand and we'll have a look at some New Zealand news. Now, um, uh, complete and other travesty as developers eye up an historic home. There's more than one of them, actually. Heritage advocates are saying they're seeing the most significant threat uh, homes and other buildings in a decade. Most significant. We better have a look at that. Now, heritage advocates say they are seeing the most significant threat to the Dunedin's old homes and other buildings in decades. Meanwhile, momentum is growing in the business community to invest in historic places. Well, that's good, isn't it? Southern Heritage Trust Chairperson Joe Gaylor said that there were more than more pre-1900 houses in Dunedin than any other city in New Zealand. But she was worried about how how longer they would be there. Gaylor said many were not being properly maintained and were having no having to be de- demolished. In last month, we lost a row of 1860s houses from Princess Street, which is one of our two main streets in Dunedin. And then we have at least seven to ten other prime downtown Dunedin buildings currently sitting empty and neglected, and they're slowly rotting away on their foundations. Well, the government needs to pop step in, doesn't it? I think Dunedin City Council needs to step in and poke some money into it instead of wasting it on people looking at seagulls on the beach and, you know, doing stuff like doing, you know, studying frogs and stuff like that. should focus on that. I agree. They definitely should. Now, we've also got Michael Baker. He's read his ugly wee head again. Significant measles outbreak, according to Michael Baker. He said it's absolutely certain to happen. A public health expert, his name is, it's what he says. Well, let's click on that story because I think I brought that to you just after five, so we'll have a look. Rowan Quinn reports. Um, he says measles cases are growing internationally with a 45-fold increase in Europe in the past year and hundreds of cases in Britain since October. Otago University epidemiologist Professor Michael Baker said New Zealand was in line for a significant outbreak. He said, I think it's almost certain unless we do rapidly raise vaccine coverage. Oh, there we go, vaccine coverage. It's the vaccines that are causing the problem. That's what I reckon, Digger. He says it's almost certain to happen anyway unless we get the jab rate up because the problem with measles is that it's so infectious that you need very high coverage (laughs) with um, not too many gaps in the population if you want to stop outbreaks. Is he being paid by the drug companies, I wonder? An outbreak uh, could be similar to the one in 2019 where there were more than 2,000 cases and hundreds of people hospitalised, many of them under five years old. He said Maori Health Authority... Uh, Clinical Director Wawari McKee-Jansen 
said that there will be people travelling here uh, between New Zealand and other countries where cases are active. Every public health physician, every population health expert I know agrees that it is the most important uh, and it is most certain that we are going to get cases across the border and given our low immunisation rates because of the jabs, because we're scared of your jabs, that's why, immunisation rates, that we are really at risk of having an outbreak. I think that's just a cover for the vaccine injuries, that's what I say anyway. Yep, uh, about 95% of people needed to be immunised, and I don't know why they call it immunisation, because it doesn't make you immune from getting it. As I said earlier, about half past five, my daughter had the MMR, and she still got measles. The Ministry of Health figures show just uh, 83%. Well, that, I think it wouldn't be even that high. 83% of two-year-olds were up to date with their vaccines, which includes measles. For Maori children, it's about 70. McKee Jensen said that the, Jansen, I should say, said that the health system had consistently underperformed when it came to delivering vaccinations for Maori children. He urged health teams and parents to do everything they could to get them vaccinated. New Zealand is also and has an immunity gap. Uh, among tens of thousands of young adults who missed out on both their vaccinations when they were children, many because of the problem with the system at the time. I don't think so. Many because we're scared to take your jabs, that's why. Baker said the measles vaccine was in many ways a dream. But, oh, yeah, it's a dream for the, for the um, drug company. You're thinking, oh, ching, ching, <laughs> all the money coming in that we pay for. We pay for our own death. You know, um, let's look at Steve Kirsch. Let's whip across there. He says there's a summary of the evidence against the COVID vaccine. Well, that's them. But Kirsch goes further. He said childhood vaccines. And if you remember, I'm often saying this. He had a survey of about 10,000 people. And out of that 1,000 people had never had a childhood vaccine. And they'd never had, their mother had never been vaccinated. And guess what happened? None of them had neurological disorder, disorders or um, what do you call it when you get sort of allergies. And none of them had any chronic diseases. That's Steve Kirsch. You can find him at Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, kirsch.substack.com. He's got all the information there. He's also been collaborating with Barry Young. And Barry Young is the Ministry of Health senior analyst uh, who has been outed by the government. They're trying to silence him. They, try, they put him in prison, actually. He's a whistleblower. And, but all that information has gone to experts all around the world, and they all concur that um, over 10 million people have been slaughtered by the vaccine murderers and in New Zealand they think the figures could be uh, something like 10,000 people have died as a direct result of the jabberoonies uh, and so all those people need to be held to account and hopefully they will do and Steve Kirsch who's a billionaire anthropologist no he's not, he's, an, he's a he's not an anthropologist <laughs> he's a, ph a philanthropist <laughs> and he's not a philanderer either he's a very nice chap, uh, find him anyway at, at Kirsch Oh, this one just says, oh, and it's not dot, it's just Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, kirschsubstack.com. I'd advise you get over there, get on the mailing list as well, because they're always trying to shut you down. Now, this is what he said about COVID, the COVID vaccines. Here's a quick summary of the key pieces of evidence that have taken together, that they, if taken together, they show that COVID vaccines are unsafe and that the medical community should put a stop to it altogether. So we're going to have a quick look at that now. Right, um, this is the evidence. Okay, so doctors are told to trust the FDA and the CDC when prescribing vaccines. All of the post-marketing safety data is kept hidden by the health authorities. 
So not even doctors can look at the data themselves to find out if any of the vaccines are safe. Doctors who can look at the data themselves Uh, Rather, doctors thus have no choice but to trust the authorities since the data is kept secret. They are essentially told, do what we tell you, do not question authority, we will take away your licence. And we've seen that has happened here in New Zealand. Two, the CDC itself doesn't have the data to make a post-marketing independent vaccine safety assessment, and they are not interested in obtaining that data either. The CDC relies on the FDA, who relies on the manufacturer, to test the product. The CDC could uh, ask states for vaccination records tied to death records, but they don't want to even ask because... Well, they could. It says, oh, yeah, they could, but they don't. They don't even want to ask because if they did a safety and a proper safety analysis, it could be discovered uh, in the FOIA request. That's the Official Information Act request. The CDC basically has no interest whatsoever in verifying what the actual safety data is. When I, Steve Kirsch, offered to show them the New Zealand data before I published it, so that they would finally have a record-level data, they declined to look at it. Isn't that amazing? Three, the lack of transparency by health authorities. Not a single health authority anywhere in the world has ever released uh, anomalised record-level patient data for independent researchers to access and assess the safety of any vaccine. There isn't any paper in a peer-reviewed journal showing what that the, the health outcomes are improved by public health data and it's all kept secret for the lack of interest in data transparency by clinical communities uh, have uh, you can name a single rather you can name a single high profile pro vaccine member of the medical community who has called for data transparency of public health data no you can't time series cohort analysis can be is that right time series yeah cohort analysis can be easily produced by health authorities and publish for everyone to see. These these would show safety signals and do not uh, and do not jeopardize patient privacy. These are always kept hidden. The lone exception is on the UK ONS. That's what they call it, UK ONS. But they made their buckets. They made their buckets no larger. What are the, what, so so oh hey sorry they made their bucket so large that you cannot see the impact of the vaccines. When I asked them to redo their analysis with smaller buckets, they stopped responding to me. Five, uh, we aren't allowed to see even the simplest of charts. Wouldn't it be great to define two cohorts on July first, twenty twenty one, COVID vaccination versus COVID unvaccinated? Then you you simply record the deaths from that point forward and plot them. Why isn't this being published? Misinformation is deemed to be a problem as well, but the people making these statements are unwilling to take any steps to stop the so-called misinformation. These steps include open public discussion to resolve differences of opinion and making public health data available to the public in, uh, in a way that preserves privacy. For example, the HHS has a very as very well as uh, as well as the state health department should welcome all of us with open arms and invite us to query their database, such as the VSD and the Medicare in the case of the HSS, and they should publish the results of those queries for everyone to see. Why does this information need to be hidden? The members tell the story, not the individual records. 
Did I say numbers? I meant numbers. The numbers tell the story. Seven, the no respondents from the health authorities to responsible requests. I've seen emails to Sarah Cull on the UK ONS on four ways the ONS can increase data transparency. There's no response. There's also no response from any health authority when asked to explain the evidence. When credible scientists receive government data that shows very troubling safety signals, there is a total unwillingness of any health authority or mainstream epidemiologist like Michael Baker to discuss the matter and resolve it. They won't do it publicly and they won't do it privately. Not for anything. You can offer them to do, you can offer to donate a million dollars, which he has done, into their institution. They still won't talk to you. We saw this when Peter Haltes was offered millions of dollars to publish a debate, uh, to rather publicly debate uh, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. Uh, but he turned that down. The U.S. Medicare data clearly shows mortality increases after people take the jab. Is there any epidemiologist, uh, epidemiologist who can explain why deaths rose during the period in time when they should have been falling per Medicare death data? Uh, see my article, New Medicare Data, makes it clear that COVID vaccines have killed millions of people worldwide for a full analysis. That is Steve Kirsch. I'd advise you, don't keep your head in the sand. Get over to Steve Kirsch. Find him at Kirsch Substack. There's no dot. It's just K-I-R-S-C-H Substack.com. And you can get the latest data and find out what the heck's going on because he's the only one out there that's really doing it and he's got the money to be able to do it as well. He's a billionaire and he loves people. He loves people of the world. All right, we are now going back to, what are we going to do now? Well, I think we're going to hear from Mickey Willis. Now, Mickey's spelled M-I-K-K-I, and um, this is from his documentary film, The Great Awakening, 19 minutes to 8. This is the moment for us to activate our innate ability to create solutions that can only happen through the awareness of symbiosis. Defined as a mutually beneficial relationship between different groups. All of life depends on relationships. Every living thing is in communication. From the stars to the planets, the earth, the plants, the elements, the insects, the animals, the humans, and every cell within us. Real change out there begins with real change inside. As Americans today, we are truly a privileged people in a privileged land. But with our blessings come responsibilities, and with responsibilities come risks. The challenge of our time is that we must accept both the responsibilities of our blessings and the risks involved in defending them for ourselves and for future generations. And we must do this without hesitation if we are to be worthy benefactors of that precious heritage of freedom passed on to us through the epic sacrifices of those who have gone before. Now that is not flag waving and it is not cliched patriotism. That's a simple statement of the obligations of citizenship in this glorious land, our land, which with God's help we shall preserve. There we are. That's a wonderful documentary. You can find that on our website at the Wireless 
Radio.nz and that is called The Great Awakening by Mickey Willis, who is a was a who's a former leftist, now he's not. He's uh, woken up. He's a conservative now, and uh, so he's very good at making. He's done some fantastic videos actually uh, throughout his career. Mickey Willis. Okay, we are over at Radio New Zealand, looking at the uh, the news stories from RNZ, and we're looking in particularly at New Zealand News. Now, the big story there is Kerry Allen on her night of shame. I made a series of decisions. You regret them for your lifetime. Certainly do. Former MP, former Justice Minister, actually, and head of, what was she, head of transport or something. Uh, she's spoken about the guilt that she felt after the night that led to her quitting politics. Yep. And you should stay out of politics, too, because you said in a statement that you have had mental health issues most of your adult life. Therefore, that should disqualify you from A, owning a a rifle, uh, having a firearms license and B, uh, being in politics, because we're not going to pay for mental patients to be running our country. Now, a complete and other travesty as developers eye up the historic homes. That's in Dunedin. We talked about that earlier. Outrageous uh, tax freeze proposal prompts. That's on the um, cigarettes. Health experts are outraged at the Associate Minister's proposal to bring a three-year freeze on tobacco excise tax. And uh, just to give you an idea, I think I spoke about it earlier, so if you've just joined me, thanks for thanks for coming along. 21 minutes away from 8. The, um, it's about $1,800 for one um, thousand grams, I think. No, no, it won't be a thousand. It'll be one kg, I think it is. Um, anyway, it amounts to $90 for a 50 gram pack of tobacco. So $90 of that pack, of, which costs between $135 and $145 for 50 grams of, of you know, t- smoking tobacco, $90 of that goes to the government. If you're buying a packet of, say, Winfield 25, <laughs> I don't think you can even tell what the names are now. It's just got rotten feet and you know, horrible-looking lungs and teeth falling out, that sort of stuff. You could say, oh, can I have one with the, with the toes, the green toes, please? <laughs> oh, oh, and I'll take the one with the rotten lungs. Oh, oh, no, hang on. What about that one there with the feet? They don't look so good. Yeah, I'll have that one. So that's how you choose your cigarettes these days. So a packet of Winfield 25 anyway, the government gets $45 for that, that's that's what the tax is, forty five bucks. Am I right on that? I think I am. Yeah. So it's eighteen, almost eighteen hundred dollars for one thousand smokes. So you work it out. I think I've done it right. Forty five bucks. So what are people paying? I'm glad I don't buy tailor made cigarettes. What are they paying? So that's why people are getting into growing their own tobacco. And nowadays, see, back in the old days, you weren't able to do that because you know it's a bit of an art to um, ferment the stuff or whatever you've got to do with it, cure it. Uh, but now you've got YouTube, haven't you? And so they'll probably block us from looking at um, that sort of thing. I would say, because you are still allowed to uh, buy tobacco seeds and grow your own tobacco, and I think you're allowed so much for personal use, but you're not allowed to buy, give it away to anyone else. <laughs> would you like a smoke? No, you're not allowed to do that. And you're not allowed to sell it, of course, as well. But apparently I heard that up in Whangarei, there was a bloke there, and a European guy, he was selling tobacco. Unless it was marijuana, but he was selling it in the main street. And so that so good on him. But anyway, so he'll get he'll be caught for that. That's uh, but anyway, the tax is unbelievable, wasn't it? A thousand smokes, eight, almost eighteen hundred dollars in government excise tax. It's ridiculous. Just stay out of our business. If we don't try and stop us from doing what we want to do with our own bodies, and this is why it's just all getting us used to the idea of doing what they tell us. You know, take a jab. You know, don't do this, don't do that. And I don't think smoking actually has the real cause. It might be an exciting factor. I think the real cause of those childhood vaccines. We know it. Come on. We know that's what it is. And that's why 
people like Michael Baker are jumping up and down because people aren't taking the jab now because they know how dangerous it is. Because we've got, we go around the world, we look at other, uh, you know, we're not getting the truth through our media, but we're getting it from uh, other real truth seekers uh, all around the world. And we know that those childhood vaccines are causing death and mayhem. They are making us dependent. So we become, um, what is it? We become sort of like um, uh, sort of functioning uh, invalids all our life. And, you know, with a shorter lifespan, you know, you might get, you know, they don't really want you living past 65 because then they've got to pay you, um, you know, your superannuation or whatever you call it. Um, What is it? Pension. They don't want to be doing that. Okay, we're over at Radio New Zealand News. It's 17 minutes away from 8 o'clock. And uh, I, that is the top story there. It's Kerry Allen. She's her night of shame. Just stay out of politics. Stay away. Don't even be, we don't even want to see you on the front page because you're a disgrace. Wastewater sample suggests that Omicron. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, gosh. Help me. Please help me. Oh, this is the COVID update. Here we are. The most recent wave appears to have, oh, it's, just all, it's all bullshit. You <laughs> don't believe a word of it. They've got, uh, what is it, 8.46 million million genome copies per person per day ah oh, garbage it's, the whole thing the whole thing was designed the PCR test that's why they, that's why they killed Kerry Mullis just before COVID pandemic came out they murdered him that's what I think that's what I think they murdered him because he was the greatest uh, he invented the PCR test in the first place and um, they couldn't have him speaking, you know, badly about it. They never been able to pull it off, pull off their genocide. Okay, the top stories on RNZ right now. Find them at rnz.co.nz. A government accused of quietly expanding remit on public service cuts. Fourteen hundred and fifteen new homes consented on Auckland's floodplains since the disaster. Former Labor Minister Kerry Allen on her night of shame after Wellington car crash wonder what else she was on besides booze. Um, Dunedin Heritage sites, they could fade, uh, apparently, according to the district plan, that they're encouraging developers to get in there and tidy them up and, uh, you know, look after your heritage. And uh, what Napui actions tell us about Maradam emerging response to the coalition government? Uh, France Joseph River shifts radically after the storm they had the other week and uh, further bad weather is forecast over the weekend and civil defence on the west coast they have swung into action over the uh, river changes and the potential risk for this weekend. A new piano festival brings major musical uh, stars to Hamilton. A new piano festival in Hamilton, which brings Chinese and New Zealand students together uh, with a famous pianist. And uh, a famous what? A pianist. Oh, I thought you said something else. No. <laughs> You, you, you dirty old man, you go over and make yourself a nice cup of tea there and sit down and behave yourself and wash your mouth. That was sunlight soap a bit later on. Uh, but anyway, some major international stars are going to be attracted to the city there in Hamilton. And dire, uh, dire actually, are the words, quote-unquote, teacher and uh, reliever shortages leave schools scrambling. According to education um, school principals, they are still short-staffed and low on uh, relievers, less than a week out from the classrooms reopening. And uh, you've got the wastewater management there. And eventually they'll start taking windows. Apparently 15 burglaries on one street. Police say they have been they've had reports of 15 burglaries on one street on West Auckland uh, over the past 12 months. 15 burglaries, that's a lot on one street. I wonder what street that is. Should we find out? Oh, my gosh, what a mess they make. They're not only are they burglars, but they're also vandals. 
looking at Andrew Marshall's house on Swanson. Oh, it must be a bad area. It's been red stickered after the Auckland anniversary floods. Oh, okay, so they're going in and stealing there, there after they've been flooded out. Uh, a resident on a flood-stricken West Auckland street says looters are oh, that what they are. They have been constant issues since last year's anniversary weekend floods. This Saturday marks the one year since the region was hit by the catastrophic flooding, displacing hundreds and leaving four dead. West Auckland has just one area hit by the floods, or just one rather, not has no, it is one. Uh, more than 2,000 slips were reported across the Auckland Transport Network. By January this year, over 50% of transport recovery projects have been completed, with work set to continue for another 18 to two years. Third parties raised $8.4 million for social and well-being recovery support funding in the suburb of Swanson, uh, they've got uh, one lady there, she's been hit by the flooding in August, losing everything in her garage. Uh, after that, the anxiety kicks in, and she says, and it's a time, and this time, especially when it's raining, yes, it would do, wouldn't it? Every time it starts raining, you would be freaking out. On the 27th of January last year, she watched from the work, what, oh, from work, she must have lived not far away, as the floods rose. By the time I got there, I had lost access to the house. Terrible. Um, that 20... Yeah, okay, we'll leave it there. Gosh, what a mess. It does look terrible. Uh, they need to get tidy that up and stop all these people breaking into the houses and looting. That's no good. Okay, those are the stories from Radio New Zealand. I'll be back in a moment. We'll see what's happening with uh, New Zealand Herald. Yes, in one, just one moment. Mm, what are we up to now? 12 minutes away from eight. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. I don't think there's anything wrong with average. We're talking about looks alone. I mean, I think like there's nothing wrong with being average. I think if you take 10 girls at the table, like half of us probably are average. Mm-hmm. I think so. no one wants to be like honest with themselves. Just because you're people, not saying like, you're a 10 doesn't mean you're not confident either. Yeah, there's a difference fact, between fact. realistic and yeah. just not confident. I agree completely. Yeah, I just, I don't know why, like we live in this society where average is seen as a bad yeah. thing. Like most yeah, people are average. Not everyone can be, like, yeah. if you think about it, if you're an eight, that means you're in the top 20% of beauty. You should have had top 20% of beauty results. So that means, um, I don't know, modeling contracts, I don't know, you know, um, eligible top 20%, 10% men in your DMs or um, I don't know, but not, not just like like seri- taking you seriously. Mm. 11 minutes to 8 and uh, we've got Samantha Edwards on the turntable. She's coming up next, but before we do, we'll just actually, I might just go to News Hub and see what's happening there. Well, the top story there, they're over in the United States and Trump widened his lead over Biden in the latest poll. And uh, we've got Donald Trump leading Democratic President Joe Biden by 6% points. And uh, it says here that the nationwide poll of 1,250 U.S. adults showed Trump leading Biden 40% to 34, with the rest unsure whether they were even planning on voting. And uh, two candidates themselves seem ready for a rematch following Trump's back-to-back win in Iowa and New Hampshire, with the White House regarding Trump as a as a, a beatable challenge, a challenger, and uh, Trump fuming because Haley did not immediately drop out of the public race. She should actually drop out of that race there. Oh, now who have we got? 
We've got Kimberly Sofage. She's 56-year-old project manager in Washington, D.C. this week. She said, I honestly feel that we can do better. I don't think so. I think the uh, looking at right across the whole of the United States, they want Trump. Really, don't they? Some of the half-wits still want Biden, uh, Biden, some of the lefties, but they, you know, they're voting for a, just a sort of like a geriatric person. I mean, Trump's not exactly young, but boy, he's sharp. Can't say that. Most of the people don't want to know actually what Trump says. They listen to what the media tell them Trump says. That's my opinion. Anyway, uh, so we've got those houses, 1,400 new homes. That's terrible. In the Middle East, the Arabs have been killed in an airstrike while queuing to collect food in Gaza, according to Gaza officials, uh, according to Muslim terrorists. Anyway, we can't really believe what they're telling us, can we? And Sabalinka overcomes GAF to book the Australian final, open final against the Chinese Zheng. And uh, in the Middle East, they've got someone over there that think they're going to explain to us just exactly how close the US and Iran are to an all-out war uh, amid the Houthi attacks. And there are signs, too, in here in New Zealand that the, uh, there's a growing sense of unity across Maritim. Apparently, there's an article over at newshub.co.nz. You can have a look at that. Uh, of course, we had those, that scaffolding fall over in Auckland. There was a bit of a near miss. No, no one was killed. And there's calls for tighter scaffolding regulations. It's all the regulations. <clears throat> Accidents happen. And uh, in sport, cricket put England on the back foot with the dominant opening day at the Hyderabad Test. Um, we've got John Stewart. He's going back to uh, to do the he returning to the Daily Show uh, with the elections looming. The trending stories are a rogue wave smashes through a U.S. Army base caught on camera, and the uh, Minister for Tobacco Industry, <laughs> that's what they're calling it, health advocates, have slammed the proposed uh, tax freeze on tobacco and cigarettes, that sort of thing. And a bizarre row between Chinese TV crew and a YouTuber streaming itself playing piano uh, himself, rather, playing piano in Sparks Anger in the UK. I wonder why that is. Uh, food with a fork. Have a look. It's a video. It's a prob- oh, I'm going to click on it then. All right. Here we go. Have a listen. See if we can hear it. Probably won't be able to hear it. Oh, they've got an ad. Oh, here we go. The UK is a free country. That, that's and anyone, anyone but, but can how we image it. Right. We not in public. In China. We're not in China. No, no, no. I help my child, sir. No, but we are in Britain, Great Britain, we're not in China. I say, I'm also British, I'm also British, okay? I'm also British, I'm also British, but I don't want to use my email. You've got a Chinese flag It doesn't matter. Show me the Chinese flag. Why are you touching her? Stop touching her! Don't touch her, please. Do not touch her. He didn't please. touch her. You are not the same age. Please do not foot. touch her. Don't touch her. Please don't touch her. Please don't. Yeah, don't touch her. Don't touch her. What's the problem? What's the problem? Don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. Please don't touch her. Please don't touch her. Please don't touch her. No, we love your art. We love your music. But we are trying to have my friend. Are you allowing her? touched the flag. No. 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 Doesn't matter. You are approaching her with your hand. You're getting a bit aggressive. You got No. I'm sorry. You can't touch her. You're getting a bit aggressive. Please don't touch her. Please don't touch her. Oh, Please don't reach your hands. Please say sorry to her. Well, I want you to Please say, say sorry to no, her. No, we're not in China, oh, that, mate. That's fine. We're not talking about race. This is not a racist issue. Please we're don't call us we're not in China. This is the moment that you're trying to reach your hand, touch her without her permission. I don't want to touch her at all. That's good. Stay away. Don't touch her. Well, don't away, touch her. Stay away. Go. We're, we're in a free country. The first of the matter is, 
Yeah, the cops are there. This female with glasses on. I tell you what, I'd be pissed off if um, I needed a policeman and they sent a woman. Yeah, anyway, we can barely hear. It's typical of News Hub. You never hear what's happening. Never got the volume right. Uh, let's pop over to Sky News and before we hear from TNT Radio, and we're at Sky News. And Dutton challenges the Prime Minister to call elections over tax cuts. Peter Dutton has suggested the federal government change position on Stage Three tax cuts, and it should be put put to the Australians via an election, arguing the public. Uh, uh, owed an apology over the apparent backflip. Residents warned to prepare for Cyclone Carilli as uh, the upgraded has been upgraded to Category Three. Queensland residents have been uh, been called to secure their properties and will be on alert after cyc- Cyclone Carilli was upgraded to three with sever- as, a, as a, a severe tropical storm. And I think it's blimmin' hit already. I think they've got they're looking at speeds of over a hundred mile an hour, which is like hundred I think one hundred sixty kilometres per hour. A great shame. Australia Australia Day Citizenship Ceremonies axed by 30 Victorian local councils. Almost 40% of the Victoria's local councils have axed their Australia Day Citizenship Ceremonies for this year, with just 49 out of 79 local councils allowing new Australians to become citizens on that day. And Qantas bid for more Jetstar flights to Bali dealt a major blow. Qantas bid for the... Um, are they going to repeat it? Uh, for the Jetstars to be given more flights to Bali has been dealt a major blow after the ACCC said it was Virgin Australia's proposal, which would likely result in better outcomes for passengers. And Penrith Bondi Beach closes over water contamination. Western uh, Sydney residents are seeking to cool off in the Penrith Beach on Thursday. They will find a swim, <laughs> the swim spot. They'll be swimming in the poop uh, due to water pollution. Someone's been pooping in the water. And looks like a seaplane has crashed into the Sydney Harbour near Shark Island. And it's not called Shark Island for no reason too, by the way. You don't push people in the water over there for a bit of fun. It's no fun at all because lots of people have been uh, murdered by sharks. Murdered. Uh, passengers aboard a seaplane have um, endured a flight uh, endured a frightening crash in Sydney Harbour after their aircraft reportedly hit a wave before capsizing near Shark Island. Uh, other stories there. Do you believe you lied? Albanese dodges tough tax cuts questions. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has been grilled over his broken election promise and whether he lied to the Australian people about not changing stage three tax cuts during a tense back and forth at the National Press Club. I wonder if we've got a video of that. Don't know. Oh, there is actually, but I don't think we've got time to play it. No, we don't have time to play that, but so we might have a look at that after the minister. Uh, so after the news with TNT at eight o'clock, I'll just give you a quick idea. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is facing tough questions over whether he knew he was going to break the key election promise and whether he lied to the Australian people. Mr Albanese addressed the National Press Club in Canberra on Thursday where he defended his changes to Stage 3 tax cuts after months of reaffirming that they would remain untouched. In a fiery question round, Mr Albanese was asked by News Corporation Australia National Political Editor Claire Armstrong whether he knowingly lied last week by maintaining his support for the watered-down Stage 3 tax cuts. Uh, Today, your Treasurer said that it was over Christmas 
uh, said that it was over Christmas that it became apparent stage three could be delivered in better ways, Miss Armstrong said. In early January, you asked Treasury with uh, would be would be looking into this. So why then, last week, uh, when asked on radio if you were committed to delivering stage three tax cuts, you promised, you said you are committed to that. Oh, okay. Do you accept that this was a lie and why should Australians trust you that you won't lie to them again? Mr Albanese dodged the question and started stated that the Australians could trust him to make the right calls, uh, not easy calls. Um, what else is he saying? Yeah, we, they, see, we change our position on Tuesday in the Cabinet. I'm here at the National Press Club on Thursday with everyone here being accountable for that decision. Mr Albanese said that it was his responsibility as Prime Minister to take action when Aussie families are doing it tough, citing feedback which welcomed the new tax package. He said there would be overwhelmingly be beneficiaries from the reform. Uh-huh. As we politicians, we can't say... As politicians, we can't say that we were aware of the cost of living. We just we just sigh that I'm not in a position to do anything about it, he said. I'm the Prime Minister. I am in position to do something about it. We are doing something about it. Oh, gosh, I can't even understand this. The journalist interaction is... Uh, uh, oh, I'll leave it there. You're making a hash of it. <laughs> I am. Hey, we've got news coming up in a minute, so get some real news from proper news people that know how to speak properly. Okay, uh, so we've got to what other what other, what else can I bring you just before the news starts? There, uh, we've got a traumatic event. A girl, ten. Oh, this is look. They're talking about our news now over in Australia. There, uh, she was ten years old. She dies while the family was on holiday. So it's Aussies. That's why over here in New Zealand, ten-year-old girl has died after being swept down a creek in uh, New Zealand's Fiordland National Park while on a family holiday. It's terrible. She's only in the water for a very short time. They quickly pulled her out, but she was unresponsive, so that's nasty. Very nasty. Okay, we'll move across to TNT Radio News now, and uh, we'll see what's happening there. Do I have a jingle for the TNT Radio News? I think I do. Here it is now. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. show go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news for tnt this is james o'neill ukrainian president volodymyr zelensky has challenged russia's assertion that ukrainian air defenses down a russian aircraft carrying 65 ukrainian prisoners of war destined for an exchange the russian defense ministry stated that the il-76 also carrying six Russian crew members and three officials, was hit by a Ukrainian missile over the Belgorod region, resulting in no survivors. In a video statement, Zelensky emphasized the need for a thorough investigation to establish the facts, acknowledging the difficulties due to the crash occurring on Russian soil. He confirmed that Ukrainian authorities are actively investigating to determine the status of all POWs involved. Zelensky called for an international probe into the incident, accusing Russia of irresponsibly handling the lives of Ukrainian POWs. He stopped short of assigning blame for the plane's destruction. This announcement came after several Ukrainian media outlets and journalists retracted their initial reports, which claimed the downed aircraft was transporting missiles and had been targeted by Ukrainian forces. These reports were withdrawn following Russia's disclosures that the plane was carrying Ukrainian captives. Maersk Line Limited, the American subsidiary of Danish shipping company Molarmaersk, 
has announced it will halt the transit of its merchant ships through the Suez Canal and Red Sea, mirroring the decision of its parent company. This move comes in response to recent attacks by the Houthi group, an armed Shia Islamist organization controlling significant areas of Yemen, including the capital Sana'a. These attacks are part of the Houthis' efforts to support Palestinians during the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. The decision follows incidents involving the Maersk Detroit and Maersk Chesapeake, which along with their U.S. Navy escort were targeted by Houthi cruise missiles in the Bab al-Mandeb Strait. The United States Central Command later confirmed that the ship sustained no damage. Despite CENTCOM's statement, Houthi spokesperson Yahya Sari claimed success in the attack, stating that the missiles hit their targets and forced the ships to retreat. This escalation in Houthi military actions comes as the U.S. and U.K. initiated bombing campaigns against Houthi-linked sites in Yemen. Sanders, the U.K.'s chief of the general staff, has suggested that civilians should be prepared and equipped to potentially engage in conflict against Russia, advocating for a significant expansion of the British Army. During his address at the International Armored Vehicles Conference in London, Sanders recommended increasing the Army's size to approximately 120,000 personnel within three years, a substantial rise from its current strength of nearly 76,000. Sanders emphasized the importance of training and equipping a civilian force, viewing it as a necessary measure for national defense. He referred to Sweden's recent initiatives, which includes reinstating civil and military conscription, as a model for the UK to consider. This approach aligns with Sweden's efforts to bolster its defense capabilities in light of its pending NATO membership. However, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak countered Sanders' remarks, asserting that the government has no plans to introduce conscription. Sunak's response serves as a rebuke to the General's proposal, highlighting a difference in perspective on the nation's defense strategy and preparedness for potential conflict with Russia. The Houthi group in Yemen claimed to have struck an American warship and caused two U.S.-owned commercial vessels to withdraw following a missile attack in the Gulf of Aden in Bab al-Mandeb area. This claim was made by Yahya Suri, a spokesman for the Houthis. According to Suri, the incident involved several American destroyers and warships providing protection for the commercial ships. He asserted that the Houthis achieved a direct hit on an American warship during the conflict, which lasted around two hours. Sari also claimed that several of their ballistic missiles reached their intended targets despite efforts by the warships to intercept them. However, the U.S. Central Command contradicted this claim, stating that all incoming missiles had been successfully intercepted and shot down. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James. It is uh, just gone 8 o'clock, 5 past 8. We'll have some uh, weather for you in just a moment. From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at 5.